Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Hey everybody, this is Kyle V, host of the Ozark Podcast. If you like the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast, we have a show for you. We sit down with local outdoorsmen of Arkansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma to talk all things hunting, fishing, conservation, history, and culture in the Ozark Mountains region. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts to discuss the pursuits of hunting turkeys, bears, and whitetail, as well as the science behind their conservation. Join me and my co-host Kyle Plunkett every Wednesday and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. I hope that everyone out there is doing great, having a great turkey season so far, if your turkey season is already open. Uh, we just opened up here in Alabama. As y'all heard on last week's episode, we had some luck. We're kind of getting into that point of the season where a lot of different states are opening up right now. Um, some of us have been hunting for a little while. Some of us may be struggling right now. Uh, it can be kind of a tough time of year for some people. You know, it's still pretty early in the spring, so you know a lot of people are dealing with hend-up gobblers and and we're about to deal with this uh, this whole change, you know, the, the green up that happens. And, and when the green up happens, that is a pretty big change when it comes to hunting turkeys because, you know, it changes how far you can hear them because when there's leaves on the trees, you can't hear as far. It changes where the turkeys are hanging out. Just just a, a, a big time of change right now, um, which some people can really struggle with, myself included. And one thing we like to do from time to time on the show, if you're a longtime listener, you know this, is go back and pick one of our favorite episodes and re-highlight that episode, you know, a couple years down the line. Um, you know, we put out so many episodes that a lot of these just real 
gems can get buried uh, underneath all these other episodes we do. And, you know, every episode we put out, we try to put out really, really quality content. Uh, but, you know, there's always those just diamond episodes, the ones that are just some of our favorites, the ones that, that we had a blast recording, the ones that do really good for us, you know, download wise, are the ones that we get a ton of good feedback on where you guys are writing in and saying, man, after I heard this on the show, it really clicked for me. I, I started going out and applying it and had success. And then, of course, listener success stories. So those are kind of like the metrics that we measure this by. And we'd like to take some of these older episodes that uh, made a difference for a lot of people and re-highlight those. Because again, we've added a lot of people since this episode came out. I believe the one we're doing today is two years old. It was good back then. It's good now. The The tactics in this episode, uh, the original title was Subtle Characteristics of a Turkey Killer with Dave Owens. So Mr. Dave Owens of Pinotti Project was our guest this uh, this week on that we did on the show. That title really says a lot about Dave. Uh, I, I think it explains him really well, his approach. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week when you watch turkey hunting videos or, you know, so whatever turkey content you got out there. A lot of the focus tends to fall on your calling and, and this and that, uh, kind of like the bigger, more noticeable stuff. But in this episode, we really talk about the little details that matter and that, you know, if you want to, have success in the turkey woods, you're going to have to start sweating these little details. And so that's what we go over with Dave. And uh, this is just an excellent conversation. We got so much good feedback on this. So I'm really excited to kind of re-highlight it for all the new listeners uh, and just get it back out there for people. I'll go ahead and say this now. If you have not already, please leave us a five-star review if you are enjoying this show. We really appreciate it. That's a huge help to us. And we will read them on the outros. So y'all make sure y'all leave some reviews. Also, with all these turkey seasons opening up, if you use anything that you hear on the show in the turkey woods and have success, make sure you write in with your listener success story. We love, love, love hearing your listener success stories. So y'all definitely make sure to let us know about those. Just shoot us a message, you know, with some pictures and everything, kind of explain how it went down and and maybe talk about the episodes that helped. And uh, and we we love to share that stuff on our social media and everything. And again, we just love seeing it. So I hope everyone's having some luck so far in the turkey woods if your season is open. And uh, I hope that you guys get as much out of this episode as I got when we first recorded it. So without further ado, here is Mr. Dave Owens of Pinotti Project. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast, everybody. Today we got one of my favorite turkey hunters sitting here in front of me, Mr. Dave Owens. How you doing, Dave? Uh, doing well, buddy. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. Winding down from the show. Yeah. Everyone's a little bit worn out. Yep. It, was, it was like a marathon. Yeah. A very fast marathon. But mm-hmm. it's like you blink your eye and it's over. Yeah, especially this year, not having anything on Sunday. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't what? think I like it. Oh, really? I like having... You're so wound up for those of us that call mm-hmm. you know and we spend so much time in that dog on calling room you feel like you don't get to speed and spend much time outside in the in the halls and stuff with with everybody and yeah. you know meeting folks that want to meet you and stuff like that and the calling contest went long got out at like 5 45 and then you by the time I make it down there it's like 10 minutes till closing and you know there's tons of people i didn't get to shake their hands and anybody that wants to come in here and know anything about the kt team or penhody project i want to meet them talk to them discuss whatever it is they like to talk about you know and oh yeah just didn't have enough time to do that i feel like if i had sunday it would be a i'd be more relaxed because the calling would be over i wouldn't be thinking about that in the back of my mind but mm-hmm. anyways so yeah that's what this this new format that they threw at us this year kind of how it played out 
Yeah, I was talking to uh, Pete Moeller, the uh, media um, <coughs> manager for NWTF, and he was talking about possibly seeing on what they want to do for next year, whether mm-hmm. or not they possibly want to do a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and like half-day Sunday show. Um, but talking to a few other guys, like actually like vendors here, they're like, their Thursday was better than their Sunday normally on sales. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, they get another day to get out of here, but I know it's like rough on you guys. Yeah. Again, the competition, the way it lines the callers. up. It just, it sets up where like, like you said, you're str- you're not well. Depending on the person, stress out, but you're worried about your calling all day yep. long. Yep. Depending on when you got to go on, and then if you're trying to go visit fans and crap, you yep. don't have much time. Yeah, Friday you've got you know if you if you enter more than one contest, like Zach and I uh, were in that air friction contest, which started at we had to be there at seven thirty mm-hmm. Friday morning. We were there until like lunch, and then the open prelim started at one. So literally we were in the calling room all doggone day. So I didn't have time to do anything, you know, um, lucky enough to make the finals. So I went down there to the booth for about four hours Saturday morning, but the whole time you were there, you were thinking in the back of your head, like I've got to put together a, a program for this afternoon's, you know, big show. Yeah. So the whole time your stomach's in knots and, you know, it's just something comes with the territory, but it's, but uh, I don't think it's I don't think I'll ever get over the nerves. It doesn't seem like anybody does. These guys have been doing it for twenty something years. They're still like, no, nerves mm-hmm. are still there, man. I'll tell you what we can't. We went up there when uh, the open started, and we walked in right as you started. Mm-hmm. And when we walked in, every single seat from front to back was full. <laughs> There's people around the wall all the way. There wasn't a place to sit. We just had to stand in front of people yeah. with a couple of jerks. But I was like, I want to watch this. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was it was pretty fun. It that was, Joker it was, was packed out, son. I saw it when we were, they introduced us and everything. And I mentioned to the guys, I said, it looks like it's a packed house. So yeah. I'm hoping oh, yeah. the... I'm hoping the uh, the numbers continue to climb, and we can hopefully get more callers involved in it because it's kind of tailored off, tapered off from what it used to be. Um, I've heard rumors of like, you know, there being sixty and seventy callers in the preliminaries for the open, and it would be awesome to see that mm-hmm. come back full circle. Because I think like this year we were around the forty mark, so yeah. Um, local contests have kind of tapered off as well, so it'd be nice to see that the calling environment kind of with a little more. You know, energy boosted back into that, and and uh, hopefully we're moving in the right direction. I think everybody's making some little changes to try to get that to happen. Yeah, uh, it looked nerve wracking because you were up there, and I was watching you, and you're up there doing your thing, doing your like your tree calls. Yep. And it's like so quiet in this room, yeah. and everybody's like staring up at the stage, and you're just up there like. Rup, rup. Yeah. Like real quiet. I was like, God, I can't imagine being up there right now. That stage <laughs> is actually once the first call is made. It's not that bad. It's uh, not yeah. nearly as bad as walking up that flipping ramp, going up on the stage and thinking about it when the guy ahead of you's going. No, oh. that's when you're like, "Oh, your stomach's in knots." Like bathroom break, bathroom yeah. break. We got <laughs> yeah, dump the system before yeah. we get out there. <laughs> Listen, it's like before a football game. Man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same, same nerves, man. It's it's I, every year. I'm like, oh, it's not a big deal. You know, mm-hmm. I know what to do. What is gonna ha- What if you fall off the stage? You know, it's not gonna be that big of a deal, but. <laughs> Yeah, every year it's the same. Every year I'm asking myself back there, why do I do this? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think everybody does, but it is it is fun to get back there and compete and yeah, and listening to the guys back there at this stage, it's unbelievable. I mean, just unbelievable with the sounds that some of these people are getting and how realistic it is and how much these guys study turkeys and how they can translate that into to putting on a show for the folks out there in the audience that that want to have their mind blown. You know. Um, 
it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. That's what we were back there. I was like, guys, put on a show, you know, packed house. Let's let's make folks happy. So, well, not just that, but show people <clears throat> the level of calling that can be achieved if someone actually wanted to put in the time and effort to it, and just the skill level because it is amazing. On the sound, I remember the first. Um, the championship I went to first one was probably like three years ago when I was sitting in there and Michael Aldell does it every year. Uh, you know, the, the announcer and everything. And he's like, hey, you know, close your eyes. You know, if this is your first time ever being here, close your eyes and just listen, mm-hmm. just don't even watch, just listen to him. And I did that. And it, blew my mm-hmm. mind because again before that you know you see like calling like on tv and youtube yeah. and a bunch of stuff and you're like okay you know nothing special but when you get in there and it's so quiet yeah and you hear those guys like the, those uh tree calls and just did the whole fly down sequence and stuff like that would just blow my mind how they're like you know y'all are imitating yep. like multiple birds at yep. once yep. Oh, dude yeah. just i got chills thinking about right now dude. i'm like <laughs> i can't like, i can't imagine ever getting that good just because i don't necessarily I don't know, that dedicated to it. Yeah. I mean, totally different from what you guys do, but just hearing that and getting that experience is just ridiculous. I mean, yeah. I know Clay, was this your first time? Yeah. Kind of go. Yeah. So, so we got Clay Collie over here as well, along with uh, uh, Tyler Malone. Uh, I mean, what was your, what was your kind of experience first? It was, it was freaking awesome. Being able to, <laughs> I think you, you were doing your fighting per. Okay. Just being able to hear that from the back of the room is just, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That, and, and another thing about it that's really useful is going in there and watching how you guys throw a call with your hand mm-hmm. and seeing how big of a difference it makes and how it can it can completely change the sound that you're making. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. and the direction and all that kind of stuff. They keep throwing curveballs at us each year with these scenario formats. Oh, and like this year, they explicitly stated a flock of multiple turkeys. So, it we were all back there like we're definitely like sometimes we did it anyway you know uh-huh. um, just to set us you know set the scene but this year they specifically said you know multiple turkeys you know wanted to so there were like all multiple us, turkeys in pennsylvania yep i mean it got down to a small hardwood ridge yeah and i was like i don't know how that would differ if it was a large hardwood ridge but <laughs> i guess that means they're closer so we need to you know but yeah. anyways it's funny just just everybody back there you know, running those calls in different fashions and getting different sounds out of them. That's both turkey, but you can definitely tell the difference between the two. So, mm-hmm. well, man, we, we got to dive into this. Okay. We got to dive okay. into some turkey killing. All right. Okay. Cause you know, the calling aspects is awesome, but a lot of guys, especially for the content that you're producing right now are just guys can't get enough of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right now, this is the time frame when guys are like rewatching videos from last year to like <laughs> try to find new stuff. Like, Oh man, like, you know, we still got some videos we got dropped from last year and it's like, People are wanting so much content right now before season starts that, you know, they want to, they want to hear about some turkey killing, dude. Turkey yeah. hunting, turkey killing. Yep. One thing I want to ask you, so I think we might have talked about on last year's episode, is your, how did you get brought up in turkey hunting? Uh, I don't really have a concrete answer other than my dad didn't turkey hunt, but he was a fanatical deer hunter. So I was always in the woods and I've always been one of those kids that had a knack for just replicating sounds that I just hear something and I could, I could, in a second, I could figure out how to make that sound to to fool it whatever it was it made the sound you know woodpeckers and owls and dove i used to call dove with my hands you know and um just one of those kids that, that was able to do that and then the turkey things kind of fell in my lab I, I got to watch it and saw you know i had the the uh primos hunting truth hunting videos and all stars of spring videos and uh night tail had one called gobbling fantails i think it was and just watching all those man i just swallowed that stuff up just loved it and that interaction and calling to them it just kind of made sense for me and uh heck i just 
like I said, I just started doing it and aggravating my dad to take me. My mom used to wake up early and take me when my dad couldn't. She'd drop me off at a you know, friend of the family's property, and I'd roll around out there as a 13, 14-year-old by myself, you know, hunting these things. And, um, yeah, it just kind of fire was lit way back then. And once I was 16 and was able to get my own wheels, we uh, we hit the ground running. So Yeah. So how old were you when you killed your first bird? <clears throat> I was thirteen or fourteen. I can't remember. It was it was that that very scenario I just painted there with the uh, my mom got up. She would drive me across town on the weekends when I was out of school and and whatever. She'd she'd get up way before daylight and drive me across town and drop me off in this friend of the family's driveway about twenty five minutes from the house and turn around and go back home and go back to sleep because she knew if I got in any trouble I could walk to their house and just knock on the door, but. And uh, they had a little piece of land. It had a lot of turkeys on it. And uh, gosh, I probably scared every turkey on that place. But I ended up lucking up and killing a Jake off of it. And I think it blew everybody's mind, including my own. But I killed that Jake, and she come rolling up to pick me up because she always picked me up at lunch in their driveway, and I was laying there with a turkey. So that was the first one, and I, I guess that sent that ship a-sailing. So. so what was your – what was the transition like? When did you start first hunting, you know, public land and kind of implemented calling more? Like when did you start focusing more on the calling aspect of it and getting trying to, you know, well, it was just, you know, it, this whole thing is like a collage of a lot of little bit of different pieces to become as efficient as possible. Um, you want to be effective. You got to be, you know, you got to be, and it's, there's tons of little pieces, you know, woodsmanship, physical ability to get from point A to point B. The calling is a big thing. I mean, just uh, adaptability, being able to kind of roll with the punches, deal with, what you know, it's all of these little bitty pieces that fit in together that, to make, you know, you a legitimate, you know, successful hunter. Um, so the calling was just one of those small pieces. And, you know, I knew the better I could get, the um, the more success I would potentially have. So anything to give me just a little, the, the smallest bit more success i was ready to you know go all in and so that's kind of how that happened and i've always like i said i've always just had those calls and always practice and everybody's like why don't you do those calling competitions but my nerves were like no i just want to hunt them i just want to hunt them and finally got talked into uh to to join to to try and one it was a georgia state uh competition up in unicoi when they used to have it up in unicoi and i'll never forget it because it was a calling was it was on you know the calling the caller numbers was kind of falling off at that point but there was still I don't know, probably 20-something callers at that deal. And we had a preliminaries round on Friday to where we uh, they get it down to like 12 or 13 callers. And I made the made it into the, you know, the prelims, snuck in there. And the next day I went in there and got my butt whooped, you know, just pounded. Um, and it was, you know, I was kind of, I was kind of butthurt about it. And, you know, I thought I had a good sound and I practiced probably more for that contest than any other one since because I was so nervous, you know, and, sounded like a you know hen on red bull because i was just so nervous i was running everything so fast <laughs> but it was a, it was just a funny situation because uh carrie terrell kt the one that's uh you know a huge part of the kt team that we're involved with now and um he won it that year he won this georgia state competition and i was walking around like i said butt hurt and he walked over there to me and said you're going to nashville and i said well yeah i'm going to nashville you know for this convention he's like okay cool he said are you calling in nashville i said no i'm not qualified because you got to qualify to be able to call up here um i said i'm not qualified he said well do what you got to do to get qualified because you got a nashville sound you need to keep doing what you're doing you know that's the only person that reached out and he won it that year and i was like whoa you know um 
So that motivated me to like, you know what? If he thinks my sound is good, then maybe I need to keep moving in that direction. And next contest I entered, I placed second to Joe Drake, who's a legend in the, you know, all turkey hunting circles, but definitely Georgia. He's won like a pile of Georgia State contests and whatever. I placed second to him. And that qualified me for up going up coming up here. Um, and then I came up here and qualified my first year ever. You know, I, I made it into the top twelve somehow. Um, lucky horseshoe. I know it. Everybody around me knows it, but still I, I made it in the top twelve and it was like I said, that's that's how the calling started and that's how it's kind of continued to once you get in on that stage and get beat like I did that first year, I'm like, man, no, I ain't going out <laughs> like that. You know, so it's just continued to try to perfect your craft, you know. What year was that? Kind of when you first got into the calling competition and your first year here? I think it was 2013 was the first time I ever called in in the uh, finals, in the preliminary deal there. So Very cool. Now, this kind of goes back towards, you know, the public land hunting. When did you start kind of hunting public land? And kind of with that, was there a big jump in, like, your successfulness <clears throat> being, when you get better at calling, as in, like, when you started doing competitions? Did you did that help play out more in the actual field? Um, I don't think so, because calling, in my opinion, is still, like, less than 10% of killing turkeys. Um, you know, as, as much as I focus on it, I still feel like it's a super small part. Woodsmanship and, you know, the ability to read maps and be in the right place, right time. Uh, still dwarfs the importance of calling, but it is, and, you know, I'm starting to realize maybe it's a little more important than I think it is. Um, and I do so. And I think that because people call my attention to it. Um, and then what are you rewatching these videos that I do? I'm like, man, I, I did call a lot to kill that turkey. And I do think it had a difference and it's not to do with like sounding pretty or sounding perfect. It's got more to do with having the confidence to make the calls, like having the confidence to call when you need to, um, you know, being confident in you're telling him the right things and telling, and, you know, being confident on knowing when not to call that kind of thing. So I don't know if competition calling helped with that. Um, I don't see how it could, but it does get you to listen to turkeys more, which could obviously in turn have you making the right calls at the right time or knowing what to say. So I guess in a roundabout way, roundabout way I just said, no, it didn't help, but then I just told you it did. So <laughs> it does, it does make you listen to more turkeys, you know, um, because ultimately you, you had to listen to turkeys to know what you need to be mimicking there. So um, as far as public land success, I guess it happened so gradually, honestly, that I, I don't know. Um, it always just, you know, your success with you getting better each year seemed to just climb each year. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it probably did. But so, Well, this kind of goes into that. When you first started kind of getting into public land, what was some of the biggest mistakes you were making early on that you, you know, later on, you know, kind of straightened out? Oh, man, there's a ton of them. Uh, we could sit here all night talking about mistakes. But, um, yeah, public land. Well, all I hunted was public land. I did, I had, we had a little club when I was uh, really young that we grew up hunting deer and stuff on, and we chased turkeys around a little bit on it, but it bordered a big chunk of public land, and we kind of roamed back and forth on all of it. And um, when it came to hunting turkeys, I liked being able to just go everywhere. So I just kind of fell into the public land circles there because that's what I had available to me. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know if I answered that question or not, did I? In a, in a roundabout way, yes. <laughs> so the thing with, you know, I'm kind of interested on the public land game is the mistakes on like oh yeah why, why somebody – 
when you start out young, like, you know, Mike Pentecost had a good one, you know, Coach Strickland, everyone that we talked to had interesting mistakes they'd made early on that they were able to straighten out and that kind of helped propel them forward. Mm -hmm. So for you, when you first got started, you know, kind of hunting public land, you know, you know, as a late teenager, uh, mid to late teenager and started killing birds into your twenties, what were some of those mistakes that you were making that you now see is like, okay, like, you know, I was able to fix that. That really kind of helped me get better. It was just treating turkeys like turkeys, like an animal that has an instinct to live, not like some super creature that knows what I'm doing before I do. Because a lot of people treat turkeys like they have this, you know, personality and they know they can hear your truck drive up and they smell you or whatever, you yeah. know, they, they just feel like the turkeys are like this, this, they're not, they, but they do have an instinct to live. Like it's probably unmatched. I mean, they're hunted from the minute, you know, before they're alive, they're hunted by everything. So, um, it's, it's it was kind of getting into that mindset that, look, this, this thing didn't know that I was walking over here. It just happened to know that this over here was where, you know, danger always comes from. So he's mm -hmm. conditioned himself to avoid that spot. And you just fail right into doing what everybody else has done or what you've done many times before. Once you start treating them like, you know, an animal that's just trying to survive and you start trying to wrap your mind around, they do everything for a reason. And you just basically, you try to beat them to the punch. Like you sit there and think, okay, he's here. First off, why is he here? And where's he going next? And you start treating them like a, uh, you know, like a, like an animal that that's just trying to survive. And, and what is everybody else doing? How is he conditioned? How did everybody else that hunts this area, what have they conditioned him to do? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then you do, you know, you, you beat him to the, you know, beat him to the punch on how he's going to try to avoid, you know, the pressure, avoid the people that he's had to deal with his whole life. And, and that's kind of what connected the dots and where you, you know, you start finding more turkeys when you start kind of thinking a little bit outside that square box that everybody else thinks and, you know. Well, let's, let's hit on, let's hit on that. Um, just because I know you had a good story last year of killing a bird pretty close to a road with someone driving up, he shut up, he was still up in the tree and you yep. flew down. Anyways, let's talk about some of those situations that you've been in where, you know, hunting pressure has definitely played a factor in conditioning birds about oh, certain yeah. areas and stuff like that, whether it's access points, roads, stuff like that, but you still killed bird in the, birds in those areas. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you have any stories? I know that was a good one that you talked about last year. I mean, we could redo, go over that, but I don't know if something happened this past year that you can kind of hit on where you were able to kill a bird in an area that most likely, depending on your you know your skill level, the bird didn't want to be there. Mm -hmm. Or the bird, you know, was conditioned like that one that was up in the tree next to the mm -hmm. road. Mm -hmm. He wasn't super far off. You know, a guy owl hooting all that kind of stuff. You know, a lot of guys are like, crap, you know, I just ruined, that just ruined my whole situation. There's no yeah. way I can get that bird down here, but you're still yeah. able to make that happen. Yeah. So do you have any kind of situations like that that's kind of relatable? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to, I'd have to sit and think about it because, like I said, I don't, once it's over, I'm on to the next one. So mm -hmm. I don't, I, I should probably take notes. But, you know, we, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we hunted a, a couple specific turkeys that were quirky and, um, like a lot of stuff is just location. A lot of times I find turkeys are very killable. It's just nobody's gotten the right spot yet. It's like once you, once you get in that spot, there's nothing to it. But if you don't get in the right spot, that turkey just seems flat out impossible. Like he's not going to move from this spot. Like he's there. Well, that's because you hadn't gotten the right spot to call him from there yet. Mm -hmm. uh, Courtney and I killed a turkey in Alabama last year that was really close to a road. Like from where he gobbled from. He could be heard over two two different county roads, but nobody had climbed that mountain to get to him yet. And once we got up there, I think somebody had because he was an awful quirky joker, you know, but um, just able to approach him and, 
we ended up getting him in with an eyesight and he didn't see what he wanted to see. And then he ended up bouncing back a little bit, but he was still very interested and gobbling like crazy and ended up having to go to the ground like I have to so much to, to seal the deal on him. But um, he was one of those turkeys that was very, I mean, you could hear him. People could hear him. And there was another turkey there and some guys found our vehicle on that first first turkey and here they come and she went back to hunt him and they saw her walking from her vehicle and asked her who she was and you know one thing led to another they chased her around the whole morning so you know <laughs> it happens yeah you know it happens <laughs> well I, I think that's relatable i mean i personally have experienced stuff like that where birds close to the road and you're worried about like you know, if people have hunted them and they can condition different things, whether a guy was set up in one specific spot because mm-hmm. it was easy to get to from the road, you know, not wanting to walk and come from the backside of them, whatever it could have been, you know, um, I think that's huge because a lot of guys, they hear that bird close to the road, they go run after it and they sit between him and the road. Mm-hmm. At least because I've done it. Yep. I've personally experienced it. And it doesn't work yep. most times. <laughs> uh, actually, every time I've done it, it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in a situation like that, if you have a bird close to the road, what are you trying to do if you're trying to kill that turkey what are you going to try to do if he's you know within three four hundred yards of the road i'm going to try to figure out how everybody else went to him and do the opposite you know um like in that situation there was a walking trail that kind of led into that valley to those turkeys and um instead of doing that we got out of the truck and walked back up the road back up the blacktop you know a few hundred yards and went in you know past him and and approached him from the property line essentially um i don't think anybody else had done that so Mm -hmm. that was something he hadn't heard and i don't think anybody had got up there on the bench with him um because it was rugged and to get from point a to point b was pretty steep and it's pretty nasty um it's one of those spots where some laurel had taken over and stuff you know um so you had to kind of beat your way through that but once you got up there i knew he was dancing on pretty ground he wasn't doing what he was doing in that stuff so once we got up there um you know we were able to get in the game and, and play ball with him. But there's been several times like that. I mean, you know, one particular situation in Kentucky several years back, there was a turkey that I looked and looked and looked, found a turkey down in a canyon. I mean, a canyon that you wouldn't even think would exist in Kentucky. And, I mean, he was down there, and, I mean, it was impossible to get to him. So I studied maps, study maps, study maps, and finally found a way down there to him. And I didn't get down there at about 1030 in the morning. Um, that turkey was so ready to die. Like, he was – just a dream. And I know the only reason, so this was the opening weekend of the season. So I um, got down there and screwed it up. I got down there, yelped to him, he gobbled. And I was like, God, I need to get on that next ridge. Cause it was a creek between us, big creek between us. And so I'm crossing the creek and I'm climbing the ridge. Well, as fast as I was going to him, he was coming to me just as fast. And we ended up bumping heads right there. And I was like, you know, I was I flew out to like California or something, and we hunted, and then I came back. And Kentucky season is only three weekends long, so the next time I got to hunting was the last weekend of the season, and I climbed down in there, and that Joker did the same thing. I won that time though because I knew I was like <laughs> I, he gobbled, and I was like I need to go get him. And I was like, hold on a second, dummy, you know <laughs> this turkey run you over last time. Let's 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 slow down a little bit. Sure enough, here I mean he flew the creek and came up there and i'm thinking the only reason that turkey's still alive is because the location he lived because he wasn't shy of any call he didn't have any quirks i mean he basically just ran at you every time you yelped at him and um the only reason he was still there is because he lived in a really difficult place to get into and no telling how many people had heard that turkey Mm -hmm. and looked at the same maps i did but they were like 
No, I ain't, I ain't getting down in there with that. So, so where we hunted last year at camp, mm-hmm. uh, when you were up there with the hunting public and everything, yeah, yeah. that place is very similar. <clears throat> and it's so rugged in some places. You hear a bird, like, oh, I don't. A lot of guys like, I'm not going. There's no yeah. way. There's no way in hell. Yeah. To that bird. <laughs> but it's just like, what you got to do to get there? And I'm, I mean, you know that place better than, of course, I do. And mm-hmm. probably most of us here. I'm sure that could happen there too, where you find a bird that just hasn't been pressured. Mm-hmm. And maybe he's in a position where, you know, especially later in the season, the hens are kind of going to nest and everything, and he, he could be very killable if oh, you're yeah. willing to make that climb. Or, it, or it's all about the day. It's all about the day. You hear us talking about riding around and striking turkeys, and and can tell by their attitude they're not ready to die yet, and putting a pin on them, saying I'm gonna give him five days, I'm gonna give him seven days. Um, and that's that whole that whole thing because that turkey can seem quirky, that turkey can seem tough, he can seem impossible. You meet him four days later, and he can he's a bit completely different bird. You know, mm-hmm. um, so it's just about you know, finding those turkeys in the right time, right frame of mind. And that's going to be a different, you know, different time of year. It could be day to day, you know, but, um, having, having a number of turkeys to sample, uh, consistently is, is how you find the cooperative ones. You know, we'll, we'll spin our wheels like the, that early season stuff. We'll spin our wheels for a week, two weeks, week and a half, whatever it ends up being just, just trugging along. You know, you may not kill a lot of turkeys, literally but you've killed a lot of turkeys that first week and a half of the season because when the ball starts rolling and those hens start getting you know going to nest and then boys start getting freed up all of that homework you did that first week and a half two weeks of the season those pins you were dropping and when you were finding them and whatever you just go back and collect the chips at that point in time you know let's we got to hit on that yeah that's something i definitely well first i want to talk about a lot of early season stuff Mm -hmm. because my plan is to try and drop this right before season starts Mm -hmm. And give people like real good info on like, hey, in two weeks when we're cocked locked and ready to rock, this is what you need to do. Yeah. But um, can real quick before we get into all that, can you explain to me what uh, what a cooperative turkey and a not cooperative turkey are? Like what like what tells you that hey, this turkey's probably not going to come to me versus hey, I think I can kill this one. If I've got to pound a turkey really hard to get him to gobble, then mm-hmm. I'm thinking that you got it seems like you got to choke it out of him. Um, usually that means a lot louder calling, a lot, you know, a lot abrasive, I guess is the word that you oh, can yeah. use there. A lot more like, uh, obnoxious, you know, to get him to gobble. Mm-hmm. Um, then he's probably with hens or he's just not interested. Most likely early season, he's going to be with hens yeah. and he'll be sitting up there strutting, doing his thing. And he hears you and he probably raises his head up, but he's not going to gobble. So if I'm going down there and I'm calling off into a bottom, I pit him a little I always start low. I always pretend there's a turkey 50 yards away when I start. Mm-hmm. Um, you always, you know, have your little spot set up somewhere to back up to or whatever. And uh, if something happens and, and he does gobble at that soft stuff, you've probably just stumbled right into a cooperative turkey. Yeah. Um, and I'll, you know, but if something happens and I do the soft stuff, then I do the soft stuff with a little yelping, then I do a little bit of an, an aggression, you know, I'll, I'll pop things up a little bit more like, what the Mm-hmm. And he still doesn't gobble. I'm like, okay. The next time when I hit him a little harder, if he gobbles, he's probably not killable. I'm just trying to find him for later. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's exactly what. Now, if he gobbles, I might move another 50 yards and try him again. And if he jumps on it, which is another thing, like the response. And if you listen to enough of them, you'll be able to tell when a turkey gobbles at you that that was a half-hearted, like he just did it because he felt like he had to kind of thing versus like he's interested in what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some intensity there and uh, the amount of time between when you're calling and when he's gobbling kind of thing. If, yeah. if I call to him and it's a delay um, and he's close enough to where the delay's not because he's so far away, it's like a he's hearing it and he's hitting it as soon as that 
that sound ends, mm-hmm. that kind of spells cooperative turkey. <laughs> yeah. You know, but if these turkeys are um, there's a little bit of delay, a little lack of intensity in the gobble. Um, he might be dancing with hens, and then usually it's always hens. Everybody's like, "Oh, what? He's with hens. He's hand up. That's always an excuse." They're turkeys. That's what they do every single day. So the chances are, he's probably with hens in the month of March and most of April. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's not an excuse. You know, but um, you can still kill those turkeys. It just takes quite a bit of finagling, I guess is the right word to to get in the right spots. But um, in early season, we're doing a lot of that. A lot of that, especially if it springs on time or running a little late, um, you've got to know when to mark the bird for another visit and when to – because, man, the, the number one thing people are messing up on is trying to hunt turkeys that don't need to be hunted yet, you know. No, they, they, hear, they hear a turkey gobble, and they've got to hunt that turkey. Like, you, it's so hard to hear a turkey gobble and then walk away from it. But, you know, yeah, you go start chasing turkeys that, you know – that ain't ready to die, you might kill one out of 10, one out of 20, you know, but if you leave that turkey and go sample, you know, sample the ground and, and put together a framework to attack the season, attack the, the terrain when the turkeys are more cooperative, you know, it's just all going to fall in your favor because the more turkeys you sample, the more chances you've got of finding that cooperative one, even in the early season. You get in an area that's got a lot of turkeys, you know, the big boys have got the, the hens kind of round up. You've got these outliers, these subordinates, you can find one of them that that uh, that potentially be cooperative even in the early season because he didn't have a lot of companies. He's odd man out, so you yeah. can, you can see that stuff a lot in our in our videos in the early season when the woods are bare. We're in the mountains; you can't hardly move on the turkeys much because they can see so doggone far. Oh yeah, we do obnoxious calling, and and if we find a small group of birds, and you can tell there's only one gobbler with them, he's gobbling. You know that half hearted stuff. We may try to trail them, and if we if we got knowledge of the terrain, and when a lot of stuff times in Alabama, we do. We're like, well, we know what they have a tendency to cross in this saddle or use this ridge side or whatever. We'll try to get in front of them because they've just kind of roosted in a kind of a traditional spot, and we think we know where they're going. Mm-hmm. But we're probably not going to push the envelope too awful hard. Now, if we get a big group of birds, and we think the possibility is there to have one of those subordinates or outliers, we'll be loud, and obnoxious, you know, um, cutting and trying to you know, bring the aggression up so that lead hen, you know, she gets interested and, and can potentially, you know, bring the whole flock to you. But in honest in honesty, what we're doing is it seems like we're calling to that hen, but we're thinking there's some boys around the outside edges that are probably listening and going, Hey, she sounds lonely. She sounds she's outside the circle that these guys are gonna whip me if I get inside of. So um and taking into consideration those big flocks those usually the first thing those big flocks do that the you know the, the dominant bird or the group of dominant birds they usually head straight to that subordinate when he's gobbling back and forth the first thing they do when they hit the ground is they go run him off real quick and then they'll get back to business you know so a lot of times if you can put yourself in line dominant bird subordinate bird you you can get obviously if you can get between them it's great but they usually don't roost that far from the big flocks but if you can get in line they'll push that turkey almost to you you know so that's interesting that's early season stuff yeah yeah i'll tell you what there's like nothing better which has only happened to me a few times because i'm not that good of a turkey hunter yet but there's nothing better than when you're sitting there and you like cluck twice and one hammers it like 50 yards away that you didn't know was there you're just like oh it's about to happen like i hope he hasn't seen me yet Mm. oh yeah 
Oh yeah. So a question I want to hit on, and you you touched about it. I know we've talked about it before is the way you go about locating birds preseason, like talking like Alabama here, mm-hmm. homestead. Yep. You're locating birds. You have them on the map. You know where they're kind of general at, and you're waiting for them to be be killable. Mm-hmm. You, you're waiting for them to die. Kind of walk us through that process of how you're kind of going out trying to find these birds and how you're marking them on the map and how you're kind of checking up on them until they're ready to die. It's essentially just as, just like you. I mean, it's, it's as simple as you you know get on a listening point, listen for them, um, and just go back and check them. Look, listen for that intensity in the gobble. Watch those gobblers. In our situation, we're hunting a lot of ridges, so I like to hear them tur- watch when them turkeys start roosting a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher. If they're low, a lot of times they got hens. You'll see in the early season that they're they're lower. They got hens down low. The hens typically go low. That's the first place it greens up is along the creeks and you know along the swamps where the water's at, along the field edges and stuff. Uh, turkeys stay low. Um, typically the hens, and that's where the gobblers are. So when I hear them down low, I expect them to be with hens. Um, but when those gobblers start roosting a little bit higher on the ridges, they're up there for a reason. Um, it's one of those things that you'll learn that they don't do anything for no reason. They just don't willy-nilly walk through the woods, you know, and just uh, they didn't walk down that road for no reason. They didn't go east for no reason. There's something that's there that's uh, caused them to, to take that route. So um that's what I'm listening for. It's all the little things, I guess you could say. Um, I try to, we try to exploit when they're going to roost in a certain area due to conditions, you know, wind, uh, try to put the wind at our back, you know, get on the leeward side of that mountain so that the wind's blowing over, uh, over your head on windy days. Cause the turkeys do the same thing. They like being able to hear too. So they'll get over there so that they can continue to function normally without having that, you know, they're nervous when the, when the woods are moving that much, they use their eyes. So a lot of times I know, Maybe roosting low for that reason as well, because they're going to go to any kind of opening. It doesn't have to be a field. It could be just an open, flat bench of hardwood where mm-hmm. I can see really well. Um, it could be a, a roadbed that, that they can see really well up and down. Um, it's one of those things I kind of stumbled upon. I'm hunting big woods, and it starts raining. I'm like, well, these turkeys don't have a field to go to in rain. Like, I'm grasping at straws. What do I need to be looking for? All that needs like a roadbed, you know? Um I bumped turkeys out of roadbeds and figured that out long ago that they treat the roadbeds like a field when it gets wet and when they get wet and heavy, those roadbeds are perfect to kill turkeys on in the big woods. So that's pretty slick. And I think Mike Pentecost talked about the same thing as, you know, dropping pins, finding birds, waiting for them to be killable. For a guy that's like a weekend warrior, okay, doesn't have he, he can't hunt a whole bunch in the week, if maybe any, but maybe he can get out there and listen in the mornings mm-hmm. before work is are you using this kind of goes towards locating calls? Are you using any locating calls? Or are you just listening, waiting for them to kind of fire it by themselves? A lot of times I'm just listening. I'm letting the woods wake up by themselves and, and just kind of going with the flow as far as I just like to get in a good spot. Now, I, I, you know, I'll owl. There's no, nothing against owling and stuff, but I typically early season, you know, I will say this if it's new property and I've never been to it before, I try to, I try to scout lazy. I try to get in there, put my ears over a big piece of turf, and I'm hoping to hear turkeys from that listening point. If I hear turkeys and I'm able to drop pins, I don't even have to walk down in there. Like, I'm like, I know they're here. I can just turn around and go back to the truck. If they don't gobble, I'm like, crap, I got to go walk it. You know, I've got to go walk it, look for scratching tracks and all that stuff now. Um, but at first, I try to start um, with, um, you know, Scouting lazy. Low you know, impact. Low so impact. Just looking, listening. If I can get them pinned, if I know they're in there by using my ears, I don't even have to go in there. <laughs> I know it's worth coming back to. Um, so I'll do that. And if, you know, if it's a place that I've never 
possibly if I don't find turkeys, I ain't gonna come back. So I'll be trying to strike turkeys. I'll be hitting whatever to try to get a turkey. If I can just get one to gobble, I know it's worth coming back, and I'll just get out of there. But if I don't hear anything gobble, I'm never coming back anyway. So you know, yeah, it seems like you and Mike both kind of share that where. It's almost like you're thinking about turkey season, like when you're going turkey hunt and it's not like I'm going turkey hunting right now. You're thinking of it more like a season perspective. It's you're a, like, yep. you know, it's I might not get him now, but in two weeks, he'll it's be It's a trouble. marathon, not a sprint for and, sure. And I think that's a really good point because I think a lot of guys, myself included. Myself talking, included talking too. I already know what you're about to say. Is like you get so far up the beginning saying, I got to kill a bird. I got to kill a bird opening in the morning. I got to mm-hmm. kill a bird. And you, whether you're educating birds, you're going in there, screwing up on they see you, whatever happens. Mm-hmm. Or you get so frustrated because the first week or two of the season, especially Alabama now, we're opening up a little bit later this year, but normally, you know, open up the 14th, 15th, 16th, mm-hmm. you know, you're so early in the season, you might not find a bird that is willing to play at all because mm-hmm. they, they're hinned up and there's they don't want to leave, especially if you're finding, you know, in our experience, it's not necessarily big flocks of turkeys, but, you know, four or five hens and a gobbler, he doesn't want to leave them. And if you're not the greatest caller too, and you don't really understand the setups, which is a question I've got for you, kind of how to find a good setup to bring that bird in mm-hmm. and make them close the distance, especially in open woods. Um, but, you know, you might mess up early in the season and then you get frustrated. Mm-hmm. You get to the point where you're like, man, I can't kill a freaking turkey. You know, yeah. it's two weeks <laughs> in the season. I'm like, I can't kill a turkey. <laughs> Instead of doing like what you're talking about, the approach of find a bird, maybe, you know, a, a couple of weeks before season, start finding birds and kind of listen for them and see if they're ready to kill come opening day. <clears> if they're not, don't waste your time. Yep. Yep. And it's hard to do because especially when you hunt public land, you're watching everybody else's truck come riding down the road and park in the same places. But you just got to have confidence that they ain't going to kill that turkey either. You know, he don't, they, they might pressure him, but him having their pressure and your pressure definitely ain't going to help the situation. They may go in there and look up and kill him. But, you know, I think more often than not, you're going to cause more damage than, you know, you in more harm than good mm-hmm. basically i got a question does courtney have which oh wait what, what is courtney's position again for the state I, I she's a wildlife biologist she's a wildlife yep. biologist okay yep. does she have any statistics on how many birds are actually killed off public land because i know it's a pretty small number versus the amount of hunting days like the hunting uh birds. yeah i'm sure they do have the statistics and that's only going to continue to get better with the reporting system and stuff that's yep. gaining popularity and more people are getting compliance and stuff so oh, yeah. the statistics that that stuff's going to make available is going to be huge um but uh, I don't know if any of that's published yet. Well, the thing is where I was kind of getting at that is if you look how many guys are out, th- out there hunting publicly on the trucks versus how many people are actually bringing in birds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know the place that we hunt a lot for birds and also for turkeys. Uh, uh, Peace of public land, Alabama. I think last year it was three quarters of the way through the season and there was only like five or six birds, eight birds checked in, mm-hmm. which is crazy because the yeah. year before at the same time frame, there was like 25 birds killed. Yeah. Which if you still think about it, that's not a lot of birds on almost 40,000 acres. Yeah. So if you look at it that way, don't worry about the other trucks down the yeah. road because most likely, statistically, they're not going to kill a turkey. Exactly, exactly. That's, That's the whole the old thing is, you know, 10% of the hunters kill 90% of the turkeys. Boom. So. Yeah. Dude. Woo. That chill's <laughs> thinking about it because I ain't that 10%. <laughs> 90%, <laughs> <baby>. <laughs> 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 Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors. And trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spurmaster and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spurmaster call and Success Call they had. Now, 
pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com. Use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. Unless you got a, a question, I want to jump into uh, setups. Okay. Okay. Yeah, early, that, that's or, what I wanted to get into. Man, see, I'm specifically, a, like I said, early season, I like leaves off. It's yep. tough. Woods are open. Boom. Stuff like that. We're on, we're, we're on the same page. We're, I just, same I just page. Want, all I want to do is kill a turkey this year. Man, so. we, we've been doing <laughs> enough of these, dude. I'm just like, yeah. we're on the same page. Okay, let's talk about early season versus like later in the season, mm-hmm. like Alabama, like this, you know, the yep. South Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia setups. Early season, if you're not hunting ponds and you're hunting areas with more hardwoods, it can be stupid wide open, especially mm-hmm. like where we were last yep. year. Yep. It's it blew my mind. I mean, you see yep. three, four hundred yards yep. on those bob, those bobs, those ridges. What are you trying to do if you're trying to kill a bird? You find a bird ready to die mm-hmm. when it's not green up yet. What setup are you looking for to bring that bird in, especially not using decoys, yep. to bring him in and get him, you know, within gun range? You've got to be very. If you watch our videos, you see it. It's like a. It looks like we're trying to solve a Rubik's cube every time we set up. I mean, we're looking at every single tree and we're studying it and we're studying it and we we may sit there too long studying it, but but we know if we don't make the right decision, it's going to crumble right in our faces, you know. So, um, it's really difficult and and especially if you can't get a little rolling terrain or a little dip or something that you can hide yourself to make you come look for you and just getting close enough to even want them to express interest because sometimes you can't get three or 400 yards you'll see us going in really early a lot of times um because we're basically guessing you know guessing where the turkeys are going to be let's use the cover of darkness to get in there if we can do it somewhat quietly but every time you hear me telling the camera we're fixing to blow up turkeys we're fixing to blow turkeys off a roost because i'm like you just cross your fingers and you're just like if we can't if we don't get there we're not ever going to have a chance but god it's nerve-wracking trying to get in there because i'm just so afraid i'm gonna blow turkeys off limb um so using the cover of darkness because you don't have the leaves yet um and we will get up to a high spot and we'll wait on them turkeys to fly down a lot of times a lot of people have made mention that y'all hear that turkey off roost but you don't Mm-hmm. take off after it because we know that turkey can see even better when he's up on the limb but once his feet hit the ground you know and we can slip down there and take advantage of when he drops down to a bottom or when he you know gets on the off side of the you know the, the ridge and we can use that crest of the ridge to, to cover us to get in there um it's almost like we're just sitting there waiting to pounce we're gonna get close enough to kind of tell by the way his gobble sounds whether he's in the bottom or he's still up on top or he's on the opposite side or whatever and as soon as he makes one of those moves this is a turkey that's gobbling well enough to where we feel like we can manipulate him with calls mm-hmm. we wait on him to make one of those moves all of this we're you know being able to tell all of this from the sound of his gobble we're just out of sight and we wait on him to make one of those moves that makes him vulnerable and then we'll slip in there and somewhat i guess you pounce on this opportunity to use whatever's available rolling the hill or whatever and get into a position to where it's super hard to do in the early season and that's why early season we're in there we're here in turkeys but it's just like we're just bouncing outside the bubble we're just you know just cruising around the outside and it may be days before one of those situations presents itself for us to try to pounce on them you know mm-hmm. um but that's all you can really do uh i mean you see a lot of guys you know opening day will come and the 
social media will light up with dead turkeys. But typically that's not big woods, you know, public land yeah. folks. There's folks that have access to fields. And, you know, if I have, we have a few fields and don't get me wrong, if I can get one, you know, figured out in a field, I'll be there opening day, you know, but it's usually people that have these turkeys on their game cameras over their food plots. And they're, you know, they've got them, had them for three weeks, five months or whatever, since deer season, even, you know, and, and they'll just go slip in there and the turkeys are coming there regardless. It's, They're deer hunting for turkeys. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a lot of that is what you see. But once those get killed out that first week of the season, then you watch everything kind of taper off until the turkeys get ready to die. And then you'll see things pick back up. So, so question is when you're trying to, use when you're trying to move in on a bird in early season and like i've been big woods mm-hmm. you know country are you trying to use because one issue that i think a lot of people have because uh, i experienced it last year while hunting up there is the amount of noise you make especially in those hardwoods in those wide open drainages mm-hmm. trying to slip up on a bird are you using terrain and everything to kind of help funnel your noise away from the turkey like you're trying to get on the backside of a ridge from him or trying to put something in between you and him while working in or is it just you know whatever the situation? their eyes are number one okay you know their eyes are always number one and sound can work to your advantage big time if i can stay quiet and get closer before i have to make noise i definitely do like you know we'll use the washes where the water washes the leaves out in the bottoms of the ravines we'll walk on logs we'll do whatever we get in the pines when we can you know use the pine needles we'll do what we can to stay quiet but once it's time that we have to make noise turkeys are loud when they're in the leaves and that's what you're trying to replicate anyway so we'll scratch in the leaves we'll start doing the quiet stuff i mean we make our approach to our setup, if we have to make noise, you might as well sound like a turkey. Mm-hmm. Put his mind at ease because he's going to hear it. Um, you know, I mean, it could be a deer, it could be whatever, but he's going to, it's going to have his attention. So if you go ahead and start throwing in the soft stuff, um, when you're making that, you know, it's, it's just, you know, you know, paint that picture for him that, oh, new girl coming up the backside of the ridge, clucking and purring, whining, soft yelps. She's just doing turkey stuff. She's looking for acorns. She's chasing grasshoppers, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, if you've got to make noise, you might as well be a turkey. You know, you might as well let him, if he's listening to it, if if he's hit listening to the leaves, he's going to hear your soft stuff. If he can't hear the leaves, he's not going to hear your soft stuff, so you're not hurting yourself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but if he is listening to the leaves and you're not doing anything but making leaf noise, it may not scare him, but it's going to have his attention. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, I guess... Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Is there a difference then kind of getting more into the setups versus like mid season, especially kind of talking to Alabama and I'm trying to think who else kind of opens relatively early Mississippi, well, Mississippi uh, on the <clears> aspect <throat> of, you know, when it's green, it is starting to happen, but it's not full green foliage. Not everything is like, you know, especially mm-hmm. the woods get thicker. So the birds are like, if they're on the roost, depending on the trees and everything, they might have a little bit more of a str- obstruction between mm-hmm. them and you. Mm-hmm. Is that when, you know, middle of the season, if birds are starting to kind of get a little hot, would you try to press it a little bit more getting towards them? Or are you still trying to get up high and try to listen for them, let them hit the ground and then make a move? I'm always up high listening for them regardless of what time of the season it is. I may encroach on where I think they're roosting a little bit closer when it gets thicker just so that I can put my ears on them because as that foliage thickens up, you can't hear as well. But I'm always pushing the limit. I mean, you're going to bump some turkeys, but I think the success ratios kind of falls in your favor. Um, you know, when you try to get from point A to point B and then you try to push a little further and push a little further, push a little further. Um, so I'm always, you know, pushing the limit and you'd be surprised at what you can get away with. Sometimes you'll be surprised at like, how did he see me there? But, um, I don't know. 
if there's a big difference in how I'm approaching it other than knowing what I can get away with. Um, and if I think there's enough obstructions and the leaves are on the trees well enough, I mean, turkey hunting's best when the leaves just start putting on, you know, that's the old, you know, sayings, yeah, leaves size of the size squirrel of squirrels here. here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, when they're that early, early season is when I like to be there. That's usually when the leaves are rocking, you know, so, um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to push it a little bit, but we have the luxury typically of having multiple turkeys found or different areas that we're confident there's turkeys. Worst case scenario, we booger him and we go find another one. Obviously we try not to do that, but, um, we do have the luxury of being able to go back to the truck and, or, you know, walk on down the ridge or whatever and have the ability to strike another turkey. But, uh, you know, we, we do have the tendency of being a little bit over aggressive sometimes um and everybody comments on how aggressive we are but that's just kind of what works for us you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's a lot of turkeys that use a lot of turkey hunters that are very successful that use patience you know a lot more than we uh, we do you know they're confident that if that turkey hurt him off the limb the turkey went and done what he needed to do with hens which is you know you hard to convince him otherwise he's going to remember you and come back they kill a lot of turkeys like that um it's hard for me to keep my butt on the ground that long so <laughs> i'm merely scooching and you know, flipping and crawling and scratching and, you know, trying to get a little bit closer every second I can. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's different ways to go about it. Mm-hmm. Now, what about hunting turkeys that you've bumped? Do you ever have success like early season? It's, it always happens at some point you're going to like run into a turkey. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have success running into them and then getting back on them oh, you yeah. know, right afterwards and killing them? Absolutely. How yeah, What's absolutely. that process look like? Just give him time. Just wait on him to do his thing. You can't rush something like that. You go try to pound it on him or, you know, trying to speed the process up. It's not going to work. That's one of those situations where you have to be patient. If you blow him off the limb, you know, get to where you think he went, sit there, give it two hours, give it three hours, do whatever you need to do. Sometimes it don't work out. Sometimes you sit there to lunch, you never hear him again. But more often than not, I don't know, I won't say more often than not, sometimes, you know, two hours later, he'll gobble. Okay. There he is. He's, he's, he's ready again. You know, um, it just happens like that. You know, I, that was 2018. I ended up being two Jakes at that episode where I called in those two Jakes that I literally worked all morning. It's exactly what happened. I was late, had to kind of come in the back door where I wanted to be. Got about halfway down the ridge. And in the twilight, I could see it was a big, dark bird. And I could see the big, swollen head. I said, that was a gobbler. And, so I said, and he was by himself. And I was kicking myself. I thought... He was by himself, and I just blew him into next week. So I sat down <laughs> two hours after daylight, after fly down, he hit it one time. I thought, stage is set. So I slipped in on him and called to him and nothing. Started acting weird. I thought, you know, maybe not today then, you know. Packed mm-hmm. up, went to a whole another ridge. I said, let's try him from a different angle. Went over there, and he gobbled. Then he started gobbling consistently. Then he picked up a buddy, and they started gobbling. And he was acting weird, and I was contributing it to me bumping him off the roost that morning. I thought he maybe he's not completely settled down. Well, come to find out, they were acting weird because they were jakes. They were goblin jakes. And I've always found everybody's like, that turkey was rough. That turkey wouldn't come in. That turkey got to 75 yards, hung up, wouldn't take another wouldn't take another step. Could be a goblin jake that's got his butt whooped every time he's come to, come to yelping, you know. Oh, yeah. um, so, but eventually, we were able to talk him over there to us and – I had a whole morning invested into two little stubby bearded jakes. They had good gobbles though. <laughs> so they walked right up beside us and Yeah, my first bird I ever killed was like that in North Carolina on public land. He was gobbling two goblin jakes came in. Yeah. And I swear one of the first one we shot, the fr- I was me and a buddy doubled on two goblin jakes. And I swear if you would have 
it kind of came through the brush and popped at it 30 yards and we're like, all right, three, two, one, bang and dropped them. And, uh, we ran up to them and they're flopping and we grabbed them. I'm like, holy crap, they're chick. Like, yeah. dude, like listen, dude, I mean, they were hammering and yeah. like, they're working down the road towards us and there's a bunch yeah. of other birds. And I was like, man, that's gotta be two dollars. They came yeah. in. No, no, yeah. but it was awesome. I mean, it was still a cool hunt, whatever. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. but you know, I, I think, you know, when it comes to the setups, I think that's one thing that gets a lot of guys in trouble, myself included. Because, again, I'm talking – I'm asking these questions from my perspective as mm-hmm. well, being a more green turkey hunter and, like, stuff I've just realized that I've screwed up on over the last this few years of doing this, which one thing is setups. Like, a lot of times, like, oh, just put your butt on a tree. Mm-hmm. Instead of, like you're saying, put something in front of you that that turkey's got to come up over so he can't look at you and, and hang up at 85, 90 yards. Yeah, yep. um, Because you're on a end of a point of a ridge yep. and it's, like, just – you know, flat and just kind of rolling, you know, edges, why not put yourself around the edge of it or something? So he's got to come around the side of it and then you can shoot him at, you know, 35, 40 yards, yep, whatever, exactly. when he it's, pops around. It's always that, that middle ground of wanting him to come up in shotgun range, but not wanting him to come up at eight feet. That's yes. what we always battle in, in our area is some of these hogbacks and stuff can be very narrow. Some of them turkeys don't like walking the top because they've had bad experiences on the top, so they'll stay on the sides. And getting on the same side of them can be tough because they can see you if you're on the same side of them. Um, but getting that perfect setup where they crash at like 35 or 40 yards gives you the ability to be more turkey too because if he's over there doing something you know, quirky, you can stand up and you can walk a little ways and scratch leaves and sound like a real turkey walking back and forth. Um, to whereas if you're exposed and the turkey can see a long way, you can't do that because you're not hundred percent sure that he can't see you, mm-hmm. you know? So it gives you the flexibility of, um, you know, calling a little bit more realistic, uh, you know, that things of that nature. So, um, there's a number of different reasons for setting up in that fashion. Mm-hmm. What's well, one of the more subtle things a guy can do, to kind of seal the deal on a bird in a situation where he needs to bring it that much closer to him. Like what's something subtle that he can do or learn how to do uh, in a situation, just again, get that bird to come in that extra few yards, whether it's come through, you know, a, you know, patch of like semi thick brush that you can mm-hmm. kind of see him on the other side, but you can't get a clear shot. What's something that a guy can do to kind of help seal the deal? There's a ton, like I said, there's a ton of different ways to, to go about it but sometimes uh it's always situation specific sometimes silence is the best if he's come charging like a bull from 200 yards and gets to that spot and stops he was very 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 interested like very interested for him to cover that kind of ground and a lot of times i'll just play it silent like he's come that far he knows exactly where i'm at if he was that interested to cover that much ground then he's going it may he may be being a little hard-headed here but he's going to end up finishing it. So I'll just flat out give him the silent treatment and not do anything. Maybe a leaf if you can get down to scratch, do something not turkey call related. Um, you know, that's one approach. That's a very effective approach, and that's probably the obviously the easiest to to put into place. Mm-hmm. But um, you can do things like throw in your calls, you know, if you have the ability to turn your head um, for him to go to a place and it's like, I should see her from there. And then if you take advantage of him strutting or going behind a tree and throw a call to the left, oh, I may not be seeing her. She may have moved down the hill a little way. So let's get a little closer, you know, do that kind of thing to kind of, you know, give him a reason to why he can't see that turkey. You know what I'm saying? Like he thinks that turkey should be there. If you could take, obviously you don't want to do it when he's looking down the barrel because it's hard to hard to fool him if he's concentrating on your location, concentrating on where the sound's coming from. But if you get him like when he's taking a step in the dry leaves so that his obstruction is your hearing's a little obstructed, or he's going behind a tree, or he's strutting and he's you know he's right when that's right when he right when that hits, he's kind of a little bit dazed or you know when you 
you know, and kind of give him something a little bit more. And you see a lot, I do a lot, um, is if I have a turkey that's covered some ground and sound felt really interested, but they kind of hung up out there is waiting for them to gobble and then crawling on them really, really hard. Um, it's almost like try to put it into word, try to explain it. It's almost like if you, uh, I just don't know. It's, it's almost like they got up, they got there and they didn't get their nerve. Like you told them everything right, but then they got there and, and they, for some reason they kind of stalled because they didn't have the nerve to do it. It's almost like the the high school boy that wants to go ask the hot girl at the dance to, to for a dance, you know, and he walks over there to her and he's like, oh, I've got my courage, I've got courage up. And he walks over there to her, but when he gets there, he's like, you know, uh, he starts, <laughs> you know, he starts losing it. But about that time, she's like, hey, how are you? Well, that just is like, oh, hey, how are you? It kind of sets it into motion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a lot of times that's that's what I kind of relate that to is like he's come, he's come, he's come, but then he's got there and he's kind of got cold feet. But then he's like, but he's amped up, he's super excited. And then when he's he's gobbling, he's drumming, and you can't figure out why he won't finish. And by the time like you can hear him drum, he's like she heard the same thing and she was like, ooh, you're here. And it's just too much. It's like, oh, God, I got to go. You know? <laughs> so, he, so he gets in there. So, so that, that's what you rely on a lot is spitting and drumming. But when they go silent and you know they're spitting yeah. and drumming. Yeah, a lot of times the gobbling will, will slow down when they get close because they know that's that spitting. And, I mean, spitting and drumming is the same exact thing. I've never gobbling. heard it, but. It's the same exact, serves the same exact purpose. Um, and a lot of times the spitting and drumming will pick up and the gobbling will s slow down once he knows that you should be able to hear him. I know um, in one of your videos I watched last night, uh, I think you and Chubb or my been you and Courtney, you y'all locked the gobbler just shut up for like 15 minutes. And all of a sudden you heard spitting and drumming. He was mm -hmm. coming from behind you. Yep. And that's. Uh, yeah, that's one of those sounds, man. It's, you got to train your ears for it. And um, I did that little video about yeah, training your ears for that type of stuff. Yeah. It's because I've killed turkeys and they never, never did gobble. Or I've killed turkeys and they, they swung on me and I was in the right position only because I heard the drumming or heard the footfalls. Um, you train your ears for those little things and a, enough of those little things adds up. You know, by themselves, they may not be worth a flip. But if you add them to everything else, it, it has your gun pointing in the right direction. And that's one of those things like, you know, I'm, I'm – I don't use decoys a lot, you know, mm -hmm. or ever. So uh, I'm just not not one of those. And that's one of those little bitty steps that decoys can kind of omit for you. Yeah. If you got the decoy out there and he shows up on your wrong side, then that's got his attention and he'll probably walk in front of you anyway. Um, so therefore, you didn't have to make the right decision and you still killed the turkey. So that's one of those steps that I feel like is kind of hurdled and um, that, that you don't have to be so – uh, sharp on to still be successful when you use like you know things like visual aids like that um and that's kind of why i don't use them i like when i when i kill him i like knowing i made every doggone decision correctly yeah that video you done with a the ear train your ears that's that's a good video yeah yeah i tried to i try to point out things that aren't obvious everybody's like oh listen for a turkey cutting oh listen for a turkey gobbling oh you know but i try to put things out there that that take a little effort you know you've got to like train your ears for um you know, for those Jake's caulking and stuff like that and, and be able to know what's happening without being there. You know what I'm saying? And, and be able to like, once you know what's happening, it's a lot easier to manipulate the situation. And once you know there's Jake's involved, Jake's are younger turkeys, Jake's a little less cautious, a little more curious. So you can manipulate that whole situation just not knowing there's Jake's around. And if you can't tell the Jake sounds from a hen sounds, then you don't know that. Um, 
like I said, they they caulk it drumming a lot. So you you wouldn't even know he's drumming with hens, so he doesn't gobble very much or all at all. But if you hear those jakes caulking, you can be like, I know what they're caulking at. You know, I know he's there. So then you put a whole lot more effort into it when you know a big boy's there. If you just think it's a, a hen, then you're just like, oh, well, you know. Um and like the whole roost thing, when me and Chubb slipped in on that one of the examples I gave, we're sitting there by a tree, pitch black dark, use the wet leaves because it's raining like crazy. We'll use the wet leaves to get into a kind of a known spot where a turkey had been roosted. And um, the first thing we heard was like, rah, rah, rah. And I looked at him. I said, that Jake just didn't caulk for no reason. You know good and well what that Jake was caulking that. There's a turkey drummed over there. He's like, yep, sure enough. Handful of minutes later, he let one rip, but we already knew he was there. If he decided not to gobble that morning, we already knew he was there regardless. Um, and that's just from knowing those little sounds and being able to put one and two together. That's, that's some good information right there. That was, that was great. I watched that video, and you when you were talking about the Jake Calkin and everything at uh, Spitting and Drumming, I was like, huh. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was like, inter- I started thinking back. I'm like, oh, that would have been a useful tip. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And a lot of times it's uh, and you can use that to your advantage because, like I said, Jakes are curious little jokers. Yeah. And and they're more curious to another Jake. Like you can you can yelp at a turkey, you know, a Jake, and he'll come to a hen a lot. But I found that Jakes, when a new Jake's on the scene, boy, they're curious. I mean, they are just curious. And a lot of times <laughs> that's all it takes to steer that flock, or um. You know, get them moving again. We hunted them in Arizona one time. Me and Squirrel dropped down in this canyon and beautiful place. Had these turkeys gobbling. It was a whole flock of turkeys. <clears throat> Able to watch, wait for them to get down a little dip right against the creek or, or a river. And the dip allowed us to drop down and get right in their pocket, you know, I would say about 150 yards from them because it was really open down there. And yelped at them and was able to get the whole flock to come up back onto our little plateau there but they were probably still 80 yards away and they were stuck there was like eight or ten jakes i don't know five four or five hens and two big long beards and we sat there and i soft called them we waited them you know whatever they were content being where they were at but about that time those jakes you know the gobblers would drum jakes would caulk at them the gobblers would jakes chase the jakes around and they would you know and they'd get chasing them around and acting a fool so we started Calking at him. I said, You ready for, you know, when I'm finished calking at him, see what happened. Oh, oh, oh. And you see all those Jake's heads come up. <laughs> like, oh, there's another boy here, you know? <laughs> and so, about that time, they'd calk back at me and I'd calk right at him. Well, here they came. All the Jake's, all like eight or 10 of them came and those things eat fire ants like crazy out there. Big, big fire ant beds. And we had a fire ant bed like eight yards in front of our feet. Every one of those Jake's came up to that fire ant bed and just started feeding them. And the, the other turkeys didn't run behind them, but they just started, got them moving again. They just started drifting and the whole flock drifted right past us. So yeah, it, it was one of those, another one of those things to where caulking at them, the hen calling wasn't working, mm-hmm. but the Jake's thought there was another boy in the area and they're just, they're just flipping curious, you know, and they're coming in there caulking and, you know, sounding like, nails on a chalkboard but but they're just caulking and looking and you know they're so curious that it, it got them all in trouble <clears throat> now like uh do you ever use the jake caulking in any other situation because i've used it over the last couple of years not really knowing what i'm doing mm-hmm. and a lot of times i'll just do it and one will gobble at it and that's all that that's all that happens like they never come to it but they'll usually gobble at it yeah i don't know i mean i use it quite a bit and i uh-huh. think it's taken off in popularity I, I don't know if it's because we start putting out videos and showing it being effective but there's probably a lot of people doing it way before you know that but uh i just seen it kind of seems to me like it's gained popularity uh just because um 
you know, you see it so much more in, in, in the media and stuff where people are videoing their hunts. But yeah, um, I do it because I just feel like it paints such a picture. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's hens calling and it's easy to sound like a like a completely different turkey. And they think that, um, you know, you've, you're a whole flock of turkeys. I don't know if there's a jealousy factor with turkeys. Obviously, I play off of it a lot. I pretend there is. It seems to be effective. Um, so the Jake calking out. I do a lot of times just because I see it so much when there's a flock of turkeys and I see those jakes caulk at those turkeys that are drumming, those jakes caulk at hens yelping. It's just so realistic to me. It like paints like a picture that most people aren't painting. So you'll yeah. see the hunting public last year when they came and hunted with me down there, we were working that turkey and he was a stubborn old fool gobbling his brains out, gun it in, you know, and just kind of staying on this little point. But I got close enough to him and I changed the game and I was cutting at him and he'd gobble. I started Jake yelping at him and walking at him. He came on flipping glued. <laughs> he was okay gobbling at the hen. Every time I called, he'd gobble at her, but he wouldn't move. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I started Jake caulking at him and almost like I was making an advancement toward him, toward him, them jokers are aggressive. You know, turkeys are aggressive during spring. You know, they're, they're yeah. there to fight for their turf. That changed the whole game. Like he started, got you could hear him like he was gobbling at every hen call. When I started Jake calling, like he started gobbling hard, like on top of it. Like, you know, you didn't even get it out good. He was roaring right over the top of it. I mean, he was, he, it changed the game. So it's just throwing that. Obviously, he hadn't, I probably hadn't heard that, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a little bit outside the box enough to get him to roll in them legs. I've got a question, and it's actually for everybody sitting here um, talking to Andrew, Clay, and uh, Tyler. What, what to ask you is, I like for everybody to come. Like, what's a situation that you've had in the last few years of turkey hunting that we could kind of go through and, and get your thoughts on it? Like, how mm-hmm. you, would you handle that situation on mm-hmm. birds? Because I think there's enough of us here that have different backgrounds in turkey hunting. Um, that I think this would be extremely helpful for a lot of listeners because that's the biggest thing is like, you know, guys here, like y'all talking, talking tactics and stuff, but they're like, man, why this happened to me last year, you know, crap, you know, maybe it's happened to him multiple times. Like, well, how do I overcome that? Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's calling or different setups or just, you know, moving on a bird, advancing on a bird or backing out. Um, so that being said, you know, Clay, not to put you under the, under the bus, but we'll kind of work down. Do you have a situation you know, over the last year or two of turkey hunting that you were like, man, you know, there's something I could have done. Like, I know you had a great one last year. So maybe you want to kind of go over that. Yeah. Yeah. So I got, um, I got on a, a couple long beards. Of course, it's my first year hunting mm-hmm. hard. So I, I'm geeking out. Yeah. Uh, I work around the, the long ridge. They're on the next ridge, the uh, short pines, working down in that, that ridge of short pines eventually turns into pretty hardwoods. And so I'm, I got them gobbling on the other side. They only have one hen with them. So I'm thinking I got to cut them off. Mm-hmm. So I go on the hardwoods. I figured they're, they're working that way. They're just, they just keep going. And uh, at that point, they just kind of shut up. Um, hen did too, because I had her going a little bit. And um, what I think I did is um, they shut up, and then so I shut up. And so I kept working around working around the backside ridge, I eventually get to the hen, spook her to the next ridge over, and they're still on that same ridge working down, and they're trying to find each other, but I'm, I'm way off. I'm mm-hmm. way off the mark. I'm like the next little gully, little drainage mm-hmm. over off that main ridge. So but, you bumped um, the hen? You... Yeah, oh, okay. I bumped her, but not the gobblers. They were, okay. they were separate. I don't know why she was so far away from yeah. me, but she was in the pines, actually. And then so I got set up 
and I could I could see the next little dip from where it comes up, and then they were probably 25 yards from that next dip. So I you laid your eyes on them at that point? No, okay. I had no eyes on them. I just I knew they were there because they they kept working back and forth too. They're strutting mm-hmm. and then gobbling. I couldn't hear spitting drumming, but yeah, but so you just any? you just assumed there was only one hen. Yeah. Okay. But then yeah, there, there could have been more with them, mm-hmm. obviously. But um, like in that position, eventually she came working back in front of me. But in that position, what is there anything that I could do besides like? Obviously, sitting where I quit calling, and they would have been there. I'd have killed mm-hmm. at least one of them, mm-hmm. or missed them. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, is there anything like I could get those to try to commit? You talked about obviously you talked about Jake Jake Yelpin, yeah. Jake Calkin. But this uh, here again, it's always situation specific, and in those situations where you know there's hens involved, um, you assume there was only hen, yeah. one hen. There was probably more. What yeah. time of year was it? I think it was the opening couple weeks of Bama. So there was probably Summer. more than one hen involved. You were you probably you probably the, had a Jenny the, drift yeah. off because Jennies work the same way as Jakes do. Um, Jakes are constantly getting whooped on if there's yeah. a long beard around. Jennies are the same way. Them adult hens will constantly swat at them and whatever. It don't take much to convince them to find another friend. Like the outlier. Exactly, and so they'll kind of drift off to try to pair up with somebody else who may be a little easier to get along with. Um, you may have been doing something like that. It should have been coming to your footfalls and the leaves. You're coming to your calling or whatever. It could have potentially been something like that. Turkeys would still gobble, you said, somewhat yeah. oh, but, they were hammering oh they were hammering good like, so they probably want more I company her up, so they like they were trying to get her back and she did work back yeah because she walked it was a bearded ten actually she walked okay. five yards from me really so yeah. yeah i mean there's so many situations and one of like when you know you're dealing with hens it's like a it's like a it's a 180 the outcome can be you can start yelping to them i start yelping typically soft to hens because if it's just young hens or hens that don't want to get into a confrontation you can sometimes give them a little bit and they'll yelp to you enough to tell you their direction or they'll want to drift towards you and you know to kind of meet up and drag the whole flock but a lot of times if you got a hen that doesn't want the interference or she doesn't want to deal with all that you know commotion a lot of times you'll send them straight the other way and that's why it's like they just poof they just vanished um you'll yelp to that hen she'll put her head up she'll just slowly start feeding away because you don't want the controversy she don't want to deal with it you know so when you start dealing with turkeys with hens i usually start really slow because i don't want to seem intimidating what i'm wanting to hear is as soon as I hit them real, really slow, I want to hear a boss hen go, like, no, no, no. You stay on your side, and then when I do that, that's when things get crazy. That's when I'm going to cut back at her. I'm going to say, no, I'm not. You know, you're not the baddest lady on the block, and I'm going to try to challenge her, and that's when that whole dynamic starts. Um, If I don't hear anything or I just hear a little bit of soft stuff or whatnot, I'm going to approach that with a with a – very carefully and i'm probably going to either get to a high spot try to put my eyes on them or if, if they're you know making enough sounds for me to hear them i'm just going to keep it keep tabs on them that's in one of those situations though if you have the ability to back out if they have hens with them it's early season put it put a pin there they're probably going to still stay with an earshot five days later seven days later i may slip right back in there and listen to those turkeys and see what condition that they're in again um because here again when you're hunting turkeys with hens you're on turkey time. They don't do anything they don't want to do, and they ain't going to do anything. They got all day to do whatever it is they want to do, and they don't know what it is. So, 
you know, so that's one of those situations where, yeah, you could have potentially got in the in front of them if they were giving you enough talk to if they were giving you enough talk and moving enough. A lot of times those early season turkeys, they'll stay on one little side of a ridge for all flipping day. There's no way to get in on them unless you were able to put a sneak and come over a crest or something on them. Really risky in dry leaves and stuff. But, um, yeah, that's just kind of one of those – that's one of the ways that you can approach or I guess a couple of different ways that you can approach that situation or how I would have tried to approach it. So just try to fire that boss hand up. <laughs> try to fire her up. Well, start low. Yeah, starting low. And start low, up. and if I get response like I want to from her, I'll try to fire her up. If I don't get a response – and I hear, and I know for sure that there's hens involved. Then I'll probably just try to hope that they make enough noise and start moving enough for me to tell the direction and get around in front of them. If not, I'm gonna drop a pin and try to find a different turkey that's gonna be more cooperative. Uh, all right. Uh, this was was uh, April the seventh. No six. We killed this bird on April the seventh, mm-hmm. but the story is April sixth. And uh, you know how them rows are where. Mm-hmm. The camp was mm-hmm. all on top of a ridge, mm-hmm. logging mm-hmm. roads, mm-hmm. and uh, I was hunting with my buddy Kevin. This is only my second, in my second year actually, you know, hunting mm-hmm. hard for turkeys. So I usually, I usually go with somebody a little bit older than I am, so I can learn. So we was walking down this road. We had a, a spot in mind. We wanted to listen. Big old, right on top of a ridge, deep valleys, and uh, we was walking. And we just, he said, "Hey, let's just stop here and call because there's two saddles." Mm-hmm. That runs off this other logging road to the left. He said they roost there sometimes. So I mean, this is still well dark. You know, they shouldn't even be you know mm-hmm. gobbling right now. So he hit an owl, owl hoot and two fired off just right at us, probably forty yards. So uh, we just step off the side of the, the logging road and set up. It's like a crest. There's a bottom like a. Uh, Pine thicket, mm-hmm. and there was bedding. I mean, not bedding. Talking about deer, <laughs> they were roosted in the big tall pine mm-hmm. thickets, right next boarding uh, hardwood bottom. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we sat it right there, and we didn't know this. He's it's been probably five years since he stopped here and, and hunted the mm-hmm. spot. But there was some green briar that was separating. Well, we heard them where we from where we heard them to where they where they needed uh, to come to, so we could kill them, and. Them jokers flew down and was gobbling and gobbling. We didn't know the green briar was there, mm-hmm. and they would not cross that green briar to come mm-hmm. to get to us so we could get a shot. So I'm guessing uh, know where you're going to hunt at before. I mean, well, you set a couple up. different things. Um, yeah, you can't have those barriers for sure yeah, between I mean, you and them. We had but no idea they was there. But sometimes was, it's impossible to know. Second off. Um, you're probably approaching those turkeys the same way everybody else has approached them from that ridge top. Oh, yeah. And what time? It was early season, late season? Oh, April the 6th. April 6th. Okay. So turkeys are usually ready to die. And uh, what it 6th, was, so. <laughs> it was two gobblers. One gobbler was with the hens, mm-hmm. and one was. As I was going to say, if there's hens involved and it's earlier in the season, those what we found or what I found around where I'm at, where I'm dealing with pines and like those hardwood bottoms and then the pines on top is when those turkeys fly down and go straight to the bottom, you know, they got hens because those hens are going into those hardwoods. That's where the food's at early in the season. And so a lot of times it sounds kind of backwards from what most people say and what we say a lot of times, but I'll approach a turkey from the bottom. If I think he's with hens and I'm just trying to beat them from point A to point B, I'll approach him from the bottom because I'm like, I know, 
more times than not in this early season game, those hens are going to fly down and go straight to the bottom, and that's where he's going to be. So when I heard him there, and I'm like, I would have made a, you know, it had been hard not to set up on the road top because yeah, we know how just, much they walk and we right know how there. much they like them. But I wouldn't have been surprised. As soon as they didn't come to that road top, I thought they're dancing in that hardwood bottom. They're following some hens, and the hens are doing their thing. They're interested in feeding, and they're just going to continue. So I would have, you know, been used that ridge top to back up and try to get in the bottom with well, them. See, the next day, that's what we did. We came in from the bottom, and we killed that. We killed mm-hmm. We think it was the – he was a two-year-old turkey, but we think he was the one that was separated from the hen. You know, yep. He had one one gobbler was probably twenty yards from the from the other tree that the mm-hmm. hens roost in. We think we killed the gobbler that was a long subordinate bird. Yeah. Yep. And we came in, we killed him right at the same thing. Mm-hmm. They fired, we daylight. Yep. They flew down, we killed him. Yep. So you needed to approach from the bottom where the hens were still still calling home. Sweet. All right. Uh, you're gonna have to help me remember this because this is opening day last year. Um, oh, hold on. <laughs> There's a there's a main road through this WMA, mm-hmm. and there's two gates about like 200 yards from each other, mm-hmm. and we parked at the first one, and we didn't know someone had gone to the second. Whoops. <laughs> He's nervous, Dave. He's real, He's real nervous. He's starving over here. So we didn't know that someone had parked at the next gate, and we walk in, and we're going deep, like going way back in there, because you can get way off a road at this place. So we get back in there and get set up and imagine this creek bottom is like a j hook and and the j hook comes down and you just got a regular creek bottom and it comes in and it empties out into like a, a cypress swamp mm-hmm. and we had been finding birds roosting those cypress trees mm-hmm. uh you know got nice pretty straight limbs coming out mm-hmm. and it just seemed like they always like to hang out there so we push in and we get to the edge of that cypress and we blow one off the roost like an hour before daylight and so we're like whatever let's just set up right here so we sit down and uh, it gets to be cracking daylight and a turkey gobbles back up towards the road. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of like where this like J hook is. He's like just past the hook of the J. We're like at the bottom of the J. Mm-hmm. And he's like just up past the hook. And then some hens to our left that are still in that cypress go nuts. And they're cutting and yet like real aggressive calling. And I can't remember right, but he wouldn't gobble at them mm-hmm. or anything. And he's he was roosted kind of high up on the ridge where like it comes around, like the J hook comes around and another creek runs into it. So you got two points coming down mm-hmm. and he was up on one of those points. But then after he gobbles the first time, here's this joker down the holla who's like, I mean, owl hooting hard at this thing and mm-hmm. he won't gobble at anything. He's just gobbling on his own kind of randomly. So these hens pitch down. And we watch him walk, I mean, right past us, going towards a gobbler. And we can hear that guy owl hooting. So we're like, I don't know what to do. So we sat there and we're like, well, let's just see how this plays out. And, you know, we're not very good at turkey hunting. So we, we gave it like an hour and we're like, let's go find another one. Mm-hmm. And so we wandered off and never found another turkey. Well, we did find one later in a pine thicket. <laughs> we did find one later. That had hens. And that was crazy because he hammers later on the day after we ditched that first bird. Which actually, we walked right past in that morning. We walked. That's what I was fixing them. to ask. Y'all walked underneath that turkey before daylight, didn't you? Yep. Oh yeah. That turkey knew that. Yeah. That's why he was acting weird. Yeah. It was his instinct to gobble. He knew that's what he was supposed to do. And if y'all hadn't walked up under him, he would have been yeah. raking raking the leaves probably. I think we literally walked up under the tree in our video where we're crossing the creek. Like we were right next to him. Yes. You'll find turkeys like that when you walk up under them. Something happens. It didn't completely bust them. They didn't completely just wig. But they're un they're unnerved, you know. Mm-hmm. And we find that those jokers are going to need about an hour and a half, two hours after fly down before 
their nerves settle down and they're they're nervous anyways and especially when something happens to them it's like they're high string you know you, you push them over the edge yeah and that's what exactly what i was fixing to ask it sounds like y'all walked under that turkey before daylight if you oh, came yeah. in so that's 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 he was acting weird and mm-hmm. i would what i would contribute it to yeah because we weren't even trying to be quiet because we thought we were going deeper than we ended up going but then mm-hmm. we started blowing out turkeys so we're like well, let's just sit right here because mm-hmm. there's probably more of them that's one like of those things day. like as soon as your feet as soon as you enter the woods, that's one of the things that I do. Is like, as soon as I enter the woods, I am calculating every single step. There's there yeah. it, there is no we weren't paying attention yet. There is no like yeah we were being careless at this point in time. Obviously, everybody does, but I attempt to be on my A game as soon as I leave the truck. I think what I learned on that trip because that was opening day, and I totally forget about that hunt. You just brought that up. Is that we should have never been in that bottom walking. We should have been on top because I had a feeling all those birds were going to be roosted down low by that water. And it's like, you're walking right where all the turkey sign is. And Mm -hmm. you're like, you're going to, like you said, like Mm -hmm. you had a feeling about the blow turkey. And I think we talked about that. Well, we're walking before daylight and in the headlamps, we're like, look at all this scratching. We're like, Like, you're in the, (laughs) we're we're about 200 feet below where we need to be right now. Yeah. Um, But no, that's a good point. Well, Uh, what, what would you have done in that situation where like, we've walked under the turkey, he's kind of freaked out. You know, there's another guy in between, or the turkey is in between you and another guy. And there's a there's hens, you know, roaming. Yeah. What, what would you do? Just kind of hang Ooh, back and that's wait. A tough one. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's one of those situations. Where like he's not gonna. I would be confident that he's not gonna act right for at least another hour. My only confidence in killing him at that moment in time would be he's just gonna have to come to these hens that were already on the other side of you. You were kind of between them, mm-hmm. and it sounded kind of like a perfect scenario if he hadn't been already kind of boogery yeah you know um so if he wasn't boogery he would have been over anxious considering that it was spring of the year you were by his hands he would a lot of times hit the ground first you were probably in a perfect spot if you could have got there without you know yeah. boogering him up. i already know how we'd get there next time but anyway <laughs> oh, oh yeah yeah for sure um and a lot of times that's one of those spots like we got areas like that where you just can't get in there you have to wait till it rains or super windy or you got some type of uh, weather that allows you to the flexibility to get in there. Don't get so over anxious. And I think that's our bad thing is in the last few years, we talked about like trying to be really aggressive, but the thing is there's times when the layback and yep. I, now I understand that, especially after talking to you, there's times when like you're just hurting yourself trying to run in there when the conditions aren't right. Yeah. Whether the bird's not super fired up, he's got a bunch of hens, but also like you said, like the weather's not great as in, you know, super dry. So it's going to be loud conditions. Yep. There's no way to sneak up on the board on the bird or it's so wide open where he's at. You need him to move to, you need to move to a different location uh, to make that happen. Sorry about that, guys. Um, so I think that's a fantastic point. Well, now one other thing about that, mm-hmm. he's so he he couldn't see us where he was, mm-hmm. and so he he was pretty well separated from those hens. But the hens were just uh, they weren't far from us. Would that be a situation where you'd be tempted to get up and run those hens off? Not when there's that many. Okay, because you ain't gonna ever get them all to go the right direction. Okay, mm-hmm. now if there's one, maybe two. I'll do that, but if there's four, five, it ain't gonna work. One of them's gonna haul butt. It ain't gonna work, and and not to mention they're gonna make so much noise. One one turkey or flying off or whatever, you can kind of cover that up, and you'll hear us bump turkeys, and we'll have a call in. We kind of cover it up, but when a whole bunch of them, then yeah, there's no way of covering that up. Okay, so so. My last kind of situation, which I thought this dirt turkey was dead to rights, man. <laughs> dead to rights. Okay, like three years ago, opening afternoon, we couldn't get on a bird that morning. It was freezing cold, oh. slept in the trucks. Bird was roosted 200 yards off the road, and we blew that situation up. You know, he didn't want to show up because of us. We go to a different part of the public land. 
pull over on the side of the road and I'll hooter something like at two o'clock in the afternoon, three o'clock in the afternoon. And one just hammers down the holler. And it's like, it's all pines. There's a big hardwood drainage. And what it was is we're like, we run off the hill and this ridge that we're running down the side of, it's like a big uh, pine ridge with like smaller pines. The pines are no bigger than this, this Nalgene bottle. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's pretty thick in there. I mean, you can see 30 yards, but like you got some crap to shoot through. Yeah. Anyways, it runs down the side of the ridge. And then there's this, this old logging road that runs the edge. It's like a cut bank that Mm -hmm. runs the edge of those pines and the hardwood drainage, the hardwood drainage is real steep and it runs all the way down in there. Okay. Okay. We're trying to, he's down in the bottom. Okay. Okay. We run down to like, you know, we probably set up 15 yards off that that lip of the road, and it was pretty steep. I didn't know how steep it was because I hadn't looked down at it yet, mm-hmm. never been there in that situation. So you're above the road? Yeah, we're okay. above up on top of that cut bank, okay? okay? And it just kind of swings down into that bottom. He's hammering. Mm-hmm. And we sit down, and we don't know which way he's coming from. So Andrew faces one way towards him. I'm facing kind of more up the road in case he was going to swing down and come yeah. back around or come up the hill and uh, come back down the ridge on us. And uh, we're calling and we are doing different calling sequences because he shut up for a second. And all of a sudden he hammers. He's like right there below us. I mean, he's oh yeah, in within gun range or right we're like, below let's us. Let's cut at each other. We're like cutting at each other, like two hens or something. And yeah, he hammers it. Like, and he's hang- like right there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I'm like, oh, like, oh, crap. And you can hear him walking. And dude, I've never had my heart pound that hard. <laughs> you can hear him walking in the lip. I'm like, please don't pop up. I was hoping it was steep enough he couldn't pop up over that lip yeah. and see us. Because, I mean, I didn't know how tall it was, but after the fact, we saw it was like eight or nine feet oh, yeah. uh, of a cut bank. So I'm like, please, for the love of God, don't come up that. Because it's off to my left. I'm facing uphill. It's to my left. It's to Andrew's right. And you can hear him just walking. Just scratching. And I'm like, oh, dude, like what's going to happen? And all of a sudden, I'm looking again up the hill where the side of the road kind of flattens out and all of a sudden I see his head pop up and he's up above us now. So he walked up right past us up the top of the hill and he starts coming through the pines and at that point he's 35 yards 40 yeah. yards from us but it's so thick i mean it's thick enough where you can see him but i'm like i don't know if my pattern just shooting lead i don't know if my pattern is gonna be dense enough to kill that bird at that distance okay? yeah and i'm like we're like scratching leaves i'm like dude we gotta bring him in he, like he's got to come into like five yards ten yards to kind of get through some of that stuff yeah. and he wouldn't do it and he was strutting dude just, just spitting drumming back and forth right above us i mean mm. crazy he, nothing happens he turns real calmly gets back on that road and starts walking we hear him walk right past us Again, and he, he doesn't gobble until he gets probably seven yards from us. He gobbles again and he gets back down to the bottom. Yeah. A situation like that, what would you do? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you were, you know, a fraction from killing him. So a lot of times in those situations, oh, yeah. there's not a lot that you can do. You know, you just got to put yourself in those situations a number of times so that it'll work out in your favor, one of them, you know. Um, yeah, th- th- those cut roads can be really tough too because you can't set up without hanging over the top of the bank without being and being able to shoot the road. And you can't set up on the road because there's literally no cover. I've tried it and it's worked sometimes and most of the time it didn't. Yeah. Because if something happens and they don't choose the road, you're really in a pickle. Um, because I've had that happen. It sounded like he was had his head hanging over me and gobbled. And I'm like, you know, you're looking straight up at him. Um, <laughs> that's unnerving. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, a lot of times... You know they're going to follow the road, but you also know a, a turkey's always wanting the high ground, usually. He's always wanting the high ground, but they're going to follow the road, and especially if there's a steep bank that you think they're not going to want to climb, there's going to be somewhere that he's probably familiar with climbing that bank. So, yeah, sometimes you just – what I will say and in those situations, if you can do it, is to call like that pick-a-spot calling thing. Have 
pick a spot and then sit back from the spot and have him looking somewhere besides where you are. Mm -hmm. That'll give you flexibility to where if you can hear that he's on the road or he's above the road, you can kind of hear him converging on a location that you've already called to him from. It may give you more flexibility to to make a quick last-minute move or shift or, or get to where he's going to be. So, like, call from a spot back up or, like, reposition? You see us do that all the time. Yeah. Now, granted, it doesn't work 100%, but when it does work, it's super, super effective. Because um, most people are like, you called from down there, but then you called from the tree. Well, that's because it didn't work as fast or as, as efficiently as we wanted it to, so mm-hmm. we had to add more calling. Mm-hmm. But it's the best way of doing it is getting to a spot, calling to the turkey, getting some response, playing a little game, and then once he and hearing him advance, but before he gets with an eyesight, we back up, we back up, you know, get 30, 40 yards away and have him, he will, he will, wind, if he's a willing turkey, he will wind up in your footsteps from hundreds of yards away. They can tell what tree you're beside when you yelp, you know, they have the directionality to do that. And so I'm confident that he's going to be looking right there and he's going to be in, you know, in a perfect spot to kill and he's not going to be able to see me. Yeah. Yeah. That turkey was aggravating because I had him at 35 yards and then he swung around below us and then Jacob had him at 35 yards. But we're both <laughs> shooting like this is before we had like nice turkey guns. Like we yeah. were just getting into it. And I had like a, a Remington 1100 with like a like a full choke barrel. And I was shooting like a like two and three quarter inch pheasant load or something. Yeah. Number six. So he's like 35. I was like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And my, my gun patterned like a waterfowl gun. Yeah. <laughs> just freaking as wide as can be. Yeah. <clears throat> you good but, there, bud? No, dude, I was checking him on saliva. That was horrible. Well, uh, well, what kind of setup do you run, your gun-wise? Gun? Yeah, I shoot a Franke Affinity Compact 20-gauge. Oh, love that thing. So I do the compact version, which is the youth, youth version. It's got like a 13-inch length of pull, so it's super short stock. Um, super short gun, which is the reason I do it. Uh, it's like five and a half pounds finished product there. I've got the fast fire on there and a, they use true lock choke. We roll our own TSS. So it's bad medicine for them. What, what, what about your vest? I can't find no vest. That like All my have. vests are stripped to, I use, I, you know, I have a backbone of a vest, but I usually do a lot of modifications to my vest because I'm just not happy with anything that's out there. It's like the strap. I could, yeah, I like I saw the straps strap. off of my vest and I put those claw slings on there. You know, it's the same thing I use on my shotgun because it doesn't slip off your shoulders. And I walked this whole show for two days looking for it and I can't <laughs> find it. You ain't going to find one. <laughs> you ain't going to find one. Um, but uh, you'll probably find one soon because I think a lot of companies saw that and a lot of enough people were talking about it. They're going to be like, ooh. We could probably sell some of these. So, hey. um, well, that. Dave, I, I want to thank. You. I know we've taken a lot of your time today, and you got some oh, other yeah. stuff you got to get to. But I, I feel like kind of going through some of those situations like that, and kind of having you answer how to handle some of those, it's going to help a lot of guys, mm-hmm. um, especially kind of three different or really four different situations um, that to me has actually happened more times than not. Mm-hmm. You know, again, like you run up on a bird that he <laughs> shuts up, you're kind of around the side of the ridge, you run into a bird that blow off. Yep. Um, you know, Tyler having birds that, you know, there's an obstacle in between you and the bird and mm-hmm. you decide, you know, come from below that time, the next time we kill that bird. And then like Andrew, you know, we freaking walk up underneath a turkey, which I've done multiple times mm-hmm. and you get set up. And like you said, they act kind of finicky if something's going on with them. Um, then my situation, you're so close to freaking killing the bird, but you can't seal the deal. And, you know, the one thing I thought about after the fact, and I actually did it later on that day because he had to leave. 
is trying to circle that bird. You know, he went down to the bottom, calm, collected. Like, he wasn't freaked out or nothing. Yeah. And try to see if I could get back on him and it just never happened. a completely different setup. Yep, yep. Yep. You can definitely do that. And just usually an hour's worth of time. Mm-hmm. If you watch one of those videos from Wisconsin that I just posted, the ones in the rain, same exact thing. I worked that bird and worked that bird and worked that bird all morning, but he's way down on private. And I go working from another ridge point, and next thing I know, he's right at my feet. <laughs> and got on me too quick and saw movement or whatever. I could tell I kind of, he putted at me and he walked up the other ridge, but at, you know, as he's walking up the other ridge, he gobbles one time. And I think, well, he's not too boogered. So I just sit over there. I'm like, let's give him time. Look at my clock. I said, I'm gonna give him an hour to see what happens. About 45 minutes later, he starts gobbling on his own. He happened to gobble from his own in the exact spot that I'd called from him, called to him all morning. So I knew that the way the land laid and was able to, get her on his side of the ridge. He ended up meeting with another gobbler right there. Um, and they were able to, they started kind of going back and forth and was able to get in the right position to kill one of those turkeys probably two hours after I had somewhat boogered him up, you know? Mm-hmm. So time is usually the biggest thing that you can take advantage of when that, that happens. You know, they, they get boogered by stuff every day. You know, there's bumped by coyotes, bumped by bobcats, crows, hawks, just anything that aggravates them can get them a little unnerved and you give them a little time, you know, let the time heal the wound and, um, you know, they'll be ready to play the game. Everything's reset. You know, if you, some, you know, sometimes you'll sit there all day and you never hear from them again. But, um, if I bump a turkey, and as a gobbler, especially when I was working, my butt's usually planted there at least for an hour afterwards because I'm going to see if it's a fired up turkey, one like that one was, but was gobbling as well as he was. I thought, you know, anything short of shooting at him, he's going to be going and done that before too. Missed him. Give him two hours. He started gobbling again. Start from scratch. Like it never happened. Awesome. Well, Dave, man, we appreciate you sitting down with us again. I know there's a lot of stuff kind of going on. Everybody's trying to get out of town as well. But, uh, dude, it's been awesome seeing you. You know, yep. we, we hope uh, the best for you this spring, you know, yep. traveling, staying safe yeah, and man. doing that, man. And, of course, everybody out there that's kind of following along with you, I'm sure they're excited to see what you decided to do this spring because I know yeah. you're still kind of up in the air and stuff. So, Oh, yeah. We always – the flexibility we have now, we can we can kind of – come and go so we're going to follow good weather follow goblin turkeys no awesome. follow tag availability so we'll see where it all shakes out at the end of the season so awesome and people can find your videos and hats and shirts and all everything that. you know we got the youtube channel penhody project we got a yeah. website penhodyproject.com instagram facebook we're just normal old folks doing the same thing everybody else is doing yeah, so. yeah man well everyone uh go buy some Hurt, uh, some hats and shirts and stuff from Dave. And yep. uh, Dave, have a good turkey season, man. Hey, man. We sure appreciate the opportunity to get on here with you guys. All right, everybody. And that's going to wrap up episode number one of turkey season 2020. Almost said 2019. I'm still not used to it being the 20s. Uh, Jacob, man, what did you think about that? It was killer. Uh, Dave's episode was fantastic. Just talking with Dave again, uh, seeing him. Uh, it's been a few months uh, since been able to chat with him. And, dude, it was killer. It was awesome trying to get his perspective. And really, my favorite part of that whole episode was kind of going through the scenarios on, you know, how he would do something different uh, from the four different scenarios that we all kind of walked through that happened to us last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was really cool. And hopefully a lot of people will get out of that. What we did, as in, man, we learned a lot from – you know, the short hour and a half we had him on. So, uh, hopefully that's going to result in some more dead turkeys this spring. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. It's always a pleasure talking to Dave, like just someone who's that knowledgeable about turkeys, especially, I don't know how old Dave is, but he's not that, he's not like, you know, an old timer or anything, but we've talked to a bunch of different guys and his knowledge level for his age is like, man, it's really impressive. Uh, 
So, yeah, I like the part about the subtle things that you asked about. That was, dude, that was such a good question. Good, good job. That was good. You, you asked that. I was like, oh, this is about to get good. Uh, like, I mean, dude, like the, um, like Jake Calkin and everything at Spitting and Drumming and just like subtle things like that, that, that he notices that can make a difference in a turkey hunt. I think that's pretty exciting. Oh, no. I'm excited to try it. Oh yeah. Well, it's the biggest thing. It's like, you know, I think a lot of guys that listen can like get a bird to respond to them, but what's the subtle things they can do, which mm-hmm. is kind of like my point with that was what's the subtle things you can do to close the deal or seal a deal on that whole situation. Cause that's my worst thing. You know, we have tons of opportunities of getting on birds, but we don't seal the deal. Something happens and you know, we just can't make it happen. But that was really slick to kind of get his perspective on everything. Uh, so I'm excited, hopefully to hear back from some listeners, how, you know, maybe that kind of answers some of their questions on, you know, what could they do to kind of seal that deal when those birds come in and hang mm-hmm. up? Yeah. Um, so Dave was the first one and like, I'm thinking about all the different episodes we recorded and we, we covered some ground at NWTF this year. So we've got several coming down the pipe that are good episodes, in my opinion. Uh, several guys who came on and shared some knowledge who were turkey killers. Oh, yeah. As uh, the newer generation says, uh, we had some bangers coming out. So. <laughs> yep, that's right. That's right. So be looking for that over the next couple of weeks. Uh, if you enjoyed this, if you enjoy turkey hunting, we'd greatly appreciate it if you shared this episode with your buddies. Just send them a text. Be like, hey, Dave Owens was on this. It was really good. <laughs> if you liked it. Don't, if if it sucked, then you'd be like, I guess it kind of sucked. Uh, also, I'm so just, tired, man. No, yeah, no. <laughs> well, it's been a long week. It's been a long weekend and everything, just now getting back into Birmingham. But one thing I want to touch on, uh, other than turkey hunting, because this is dropping tomorrow, dropping Monday, Yep, is our Bows and Brews event that's coming up. Oh, yeah. Uh, I know we got some details and kind of that stuff. It's going to be kind of exciting. I'm working on some more products to be there as well for the gear corner. Uh, I think it's going to be a really cool event. And we've got quite a few people that's RSVP'd already. Got a lot of people that's interested as well as coming down uh, for that event. Uh, but it's definitely something, you know, if you're in, you know, the Alabama area and you're willing to drive a little bit, it's worth coming down uh, to Oak Mountain State Park. We're going to be getting together on March 7th. Uh, really having just a, a whole big shindig as a, some <laughs> may call it kind of getting together um you know doing a scouting workshop that morning having a gear corner where you can test out a ton of different pieces of equipment that you cannot find in you know different stores even pro shops around here uh and also be able to kind of shoot your bow hang out try different setups and ha- grab some food and also be there for a live podcast we're going to be doing later on that afternoon and then we're going to have a little after party after the fact. We're going to be going uh, going out. Anyone who wants to go out can come and hang out with us uh, after the fact. And we're going to uh, maybe go hit up a bar or two after the fact. So it's going to be a really fun time. If you're going to be in the area, we, we'd uh, love to see you there. And, uh, of course, you can go and check out that event. I believe it's on our Facebook page. Uh, yes. And you can go on there and actually RSVP uh, if you're actually going to be wanting to come down. And we appreciate that. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, Quick correction, we kind of got in trouble because it, it wasn't my fault, but the lady from Rug Mountain told me wrong, so we're, we can't have beer at the archery range. You can have it everywhere except the archery range and the beach at Oak Mountain. Uh, so yeah, I got a call the other day. They're like, "Hey, uh, you have this on your uh, on your event page, and and it's not right." And we're kind of concerned. I was like, "What?" <laughs> so we had to take care of that. So yeah, um, don't bring any beer to the archery range because you'll get in trouble apparently. 
so that's why we're going to go out afterwards. After live podcast, we'll just go out somewhere. It'll be a good time. It'll be a fun time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Adrian Farley, is uh, he's he's going to be there, and he's he's really uh, eager to talk to people about scouting and stuff. So it's going to be a good time. It'll be a good time. Then let's see what else we got going on. Also, of course, we got uh, some of the hats in. We got some of the new hats uh, in right now. Oh, yeah. Those, uh, or turkey bottomlands hunting hat, that low profile hat. It's been killer so far. A lot of guys are really enjoying it. So we got those available yeah. right now as well. If you want to order them, feel free to just reach out to us and we'll get you uh, on the list to be able to get uh, one of those hats. Along with the new Stay Southern uh, leather patch hats. Those are really sweet as well. Mm-hmm. And of course, a classic leather patch hat and our blaze orange hat as well. But appreciate everybody's been buying merchandise. It's really been uh, helping us out. Really kind of get our name out there. Actually, one of our buddies, which he caught me off guard with old Lane Wacky, uh, Lackey. Well, not Wacky. <laughs> 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 but uh, oh, Wayne, uh, we were at the, I was at the uh, THP booth talking to Jonathan and Ted, uh, Jonathan Bone from Catman Outdoors and, and Ted. Um, and all of a sudden, Wayne walks up, and I didn't even really notice him at first, but I saw the hat. I was like, who the heck is that, man? Wearing one of our hats. <laughs> and, uh, dude, it was good kind of seeing him at the show as well. But, uh, yeah, we appreciate everybody's buying merchandise. It's It's been cool kind of seeing some of our uh, stuff, especially at the show, some guys wearing some, some of our merchandise. So, that was really sweet. Yeah, that's pretty slick. But... Um. Yeah. So turkey content's just getting started. This is the. This is absolutely the tip of the iceberg. I mean, it's a. Uh, it's gonna. It's good, man. There's one episode. I'm not gonna say who it is right now or anything. But there's one episode that I'm like, oh, I'm so excited to release it. You know who I'm talking mm-hmm. about. I'm so excited. It was. It was such a good episode. Just. A, just a dude who. Who knows how to kill turkeys man yeah just yeah knows. there's a difference between a turkey hunter and a turkey killer and he's a turkey killer man we got into all kind of, we got into that, knowing if a if a bird has hens based on his gobble we got into dude we got into all kinds of deep turkey stuff man yep. it was good it was real good so yeah be on the lookout for those episodes coming up and then of course also you know we had these guys on at NWTF that are kind of like well-known people but we still tried to stick with people who either still hunt public land to this day or they have like a really strong background in public land hunting or at least high pressure turkey hunting. Um, but then as the season goes on, you know, we're still going to want to find those, you know, hometown guys nobody knows about. They just go out and get it done every year. And we've already got a couple recommendations from uh, listeners of people who we should have on, which, I mean, that's how we get some of our best content is stuff that you guys suggest to us. Uh, just like, hey man, there's a guy lives over here. He, he hunts so and so W man. He kills three birds every year or something like that. Uh, so those people are the kind of people that we really, really like to have on. Um, so if you got any suggestions for us of people who we should interview, reach out, tell us. Uh, thanks to all, to those of you who have already done that. It's a big help. And uh, other than that, if uh, if you're enjoying it, like I said, please share it with a buddy. Just text it to somebody. Share it on social media. That is like more help than you'd ever know. Uh, and then uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we, we love seeing those uh, iTunes reviews, the the good and the bad. We've, we had one that uh, definitely kind of, you know, 
you know, definitely came from, you know, the heart from some guy that we really appreciate kind of him giving some feedback on us uh, when we're working on kind of fixing that out, which was, you know, he was talking about audio. Yeah. You know, audio quality. So we're trying to step that up even more so with everything we're doing. Yeah. So hopefully, I think we did it in the last episode. We tried to fix that. Yep. But yeah, those, those reviews, I mean, don't be getting on there and leaving us like a two star review. That's not, come on, don't do that. <laughs> Just give us like a five star review, but go ahead and tell us in there somewhere. Be like, eh, they could do this a little better, but I still give them five stars. <laughs> I think that's what that guy did. I can't. Did he give us four? No, he gave four. It's four. Oh man, he said some really nice stuff though. So. Yeah, it's y'all, it, you cool with me, man? Yeah, it came from the heart. Came from the heart, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, and again, you know, spring's gonna be crazy. Got this strut report gonna be coming out uh, probably in about three weeks, four weeks now. Uh, so we're gonna be actually coming out with two episodes a week. Uh, come about the second week of March until the end of the turkey season for the most of the most of the country. So oh, yeah. you're going to be getting a lot of podcasts that you're going to be able to listen to. So it's going to be exciting if you're a podcast junkie like we are. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, that's about all I got about you. Nope, we're good to go. Appreciate everybody listening and uh, just stay tuned for our next podcast coming out. So thank you so much. You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year, and guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now, we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.